This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 209 for Thursday, January 4th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number, which, as per Slick, is not working once again, is 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. Based on what Slick just told me approximately a minute ago, he said that the call-in is not working, so let's definitely keep an eye on that tonight. I know a lot of you guys wanted to call in and talk about all the stuff that went on, so we're going to play it by ear tonight. Uh, hopefully within the next two weeks, we're going to have an alternative number set up for instances like this where BTR's call-in does not work. Once we get that up and running, we will try to um, use that as a backup system for incidents like this. This is the second time. Of course, the last show that we did for 2013 seems that the dial-in wasn't working, and of course... That was a big clusterfuck as well, so we're going to try and make the most of it. We're going to see what happens, and um, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then we're going to try and come up with an alternate dial-in system for tonight. All right, so I am uh, broadcasting live from the Frosty Apple. It is right now Superstorm, Winterstorm, Hercules here in New York City. Uh, lots of snow falling right now. Uh, snowfall started roughly at around... 6.30 Eastern time, and we're expected to get, the you know, weathermen glorified fucking, you know, psychics. They're like 5 inches, 8 inches, 12 inches, you know, sounds like a uh, like a porno casting call of snow. But, um, yeah, pretty much that's what we're getting. Um, super cold outside, and uh, it seems that based on this, most of us are home. Tomorrow, I myself am off. Uh, my office will be closed tomorrow. Uh, my wife's office will be closed. And yeah, that's that's pretty much the name of the game. So a couple of things, of course. First off, Happy New Year to you guys. I know a lot of you guys uh, caught the last show of 2013. And it feels, it really feels like it's been longer than, excuse me, longer than two weeks since since we've been off air it really does it almost felt like three weeks and you know it's funny because slick posted on the fan page you know i've been awfully quiet and um you know a couple of reasons why that is first of all i just needed a a well-deserved break and the reason i say that is because you know even when i'm not doing the shows we're always doing stuff on the site uh whether it's articles or trailers or whatever and i promised myself i would not do anything 
It was a total crock of shit because obviously I posted some stuff on the site periodically, but it wasn't on the same level of engagement. You know, I still kind of engage with you guys on Facebook and Twitter and, um, you know, but I just wanted to step back completely only because it was one of those things where I really felt that it, I was I was doing more harm than good trying to crank stuff out during the holiday break. A lot of you guys are with your families and you guys aren't sitting in front of the fucking computer during Christmas break. I mean, some of you are, but the majority of you aren't. So I tried to keep it um, kind of light for those two weeks. But of course, now holidays are over. It's back to work. And with that, we got a lot of exciting stuff in store for you guys for 2014. Uh, first up, we got the Apex series. Of course, Jonathan joined us uh, right before the year ended to discuss the Apex series. That's going to be uh, January 17th through the uh, 19th. And we're probably going to be covering that probably January 17th and 18th. Um, we got Toy Fair in February. Um, I'll be there uh, working Toy Fair in February for a couple of days, hopefully, uh, schedule permitting. And we're going to try and do a lot more stuff. We're going to try and do more event coverage. I know a couple of you guys reached out because you hadn't been seeing um, the channel being updated in, a, in in quite some time. And I actually wanted to address that. Um, you know, we I have a pretty strong PC setup built here for the show and processing audio and stuff like that. But if there's one thing that a lot of my fellow broadcasting colleagues can attest to is processing video requires a shitload of power and my pc when i built it at the time i was building it primarily for audio and a lot of image work no no gaming i don't really game on my pc so it wasn't really at that level to crank out video like everything else so what ends up happening is um say we do a three-hour show a three-hour show by the time i edit a three-hour show it takes me two hours so that's five hours total and to put the video on the site, I mean, on YouTube, we have to render it. So rendering the video after editing some of the stuff out and trying to clean up the audio, um, what ends up happening is we render it and a three hour video takes nine and a half hours to render. So a lot of times I leave the videos rendering overnight and I go to work and then I put the videos on the channel, but I've been a little bit behind on getting all the episodes out. So I think the last video might have been 200, 201. And because of that, I want to try and get caught up. And the goal is for the new year to build some new hardware that will not only allow us to give you guys better video, but also um, have dedicated hardware for other things as well. Like right now, the plan is to take the existing machine we have and actually repurpose it as our Skype machine. And um, that's going to handle Skype. Maybe the video encoding as well is going to be done through that machine. And then, you know, this big machine will probably do all the other rendering and we'll be able to do that. So that's the plan for the new year. Uh, we're going to make some changes to the way we broadcast right now. Obviously, I have a divider set up. Uh, we're going to try and make some arrangements to change the way that we do that as well. Got a couple of new toys over the holidays. We're going to try and break out and hopefully that should allow us to really do some good stuff in the new year. Um, right now, the camera we're using, the C920, is giving you guys uh, 720p or 1080p video, depending on what Skype is in the mood for. I think it's 720 right now, so it's nice and HD. I definitely want to get better lighting. I don't know how you guys feel about the lighting, but 
that's got to be changed as well. So since we went off air in 2013, we did a couple of things as well with regards to um, expansion with Stitcher and iHeartRadio and also Spreaker, which we're trying to do more stuff with them. And like I said, we're going to try and get a secondary dialing system in, given that Blog Talk Radio's dialing is not working. All right. So with that said, and all that out of the way, I did want to uh, make a couple of different announcements that I had to share with you guys. Uh, yeah, no lava lamps. Definitely no lava lamps, Jay. Rest easy. Uh, first off, I got to share some great news with you guys. For 2013, we almost ended the year with 45,000 downloads. I think it was 44,983 or so. So definitely um, an awesome number. 50,000 downloads in a year is tremendous. Uh, for those of you that are curious, those numbers are comprised of a couple of different uh, sets of stats. We have our Blog Talk Radio numbers for people that download exclusively through Blog Talk Radio. We have RSS numbers for people that get the show directly on the site through RSS feed. And of course, for people that get the show via Libsyn, which also feeds iTunes um, and uh, it also feeds iTunes, Stitcher and a couple of other services as well. So definitely really cool to come out with 45,000 downloads uh, to close out 2013. As a matter of fact, for the month of December, we closed out December with 800 downloads, which was tremendous considering that we had such a uh, such a short broadcasting schedule. So I got to take a moment and really thank you guys for all that, for, you know, 45,000 of you d- took it upon yourselves to listen to the show on a consistent basis, whether it's repeated downloads or whatever. The, the fact is, you know, 45,000 downloads is something you wouldn't think could happen so quickly. I remember in 2012, I think we closed out with maybe 20,000 downloads or 25,000 downloads. So to see something of this magnitude is tremendous. And, you know, again, uh, myself and the rest of the MTR team, we are very, very grateful for that. So definitely something awesome that I wanted to share with you guys. All right. So before we get into tonight's topics, I wanted to share with you a, a funny story that happened over the holidays. Uh, number one, everywhere I went, I saw Xbox ones everywhere. I went, I actually went to target, uh, the day after Christmas and there were 12 Xbox ones in the main end cap. Just saying no PS fours, just some Xbox ones. So that whole, all oh, the system's going to be incredibly hard to find bullshit. It's, it was bullshit. Every time I went out, I came across an Xbox one. I didn't buy one though. I did not buy one. And the main reason for that is I need to, I want to get a new home theater with, um, more HDMI ports so I can plug in Xbox one and all that shit. And, um, I don't want to buy any systems until I upgrade my home theater. So there's that while I've been waiting for, you know, the holidays to kind of wind down, I was in the market for a brand new camera. Now here's here's the funny thing. When I went to the Photo Plus Expo, I know a lot of you guys followed our coverage of that. There was a there was a camera, it was a Sony RX10. You guys can look this camera up if you want. And the Sony RX10, one of the things I try to do is I try to do video um especially unboxings and product reviews but there were a couple of things that were very frustrating. Number one, you had to do like a whole bunch of fucking different Voltron formations to get good video. 
And on top of that, just the lenses were very noisy when they focused. So when we were at the Photo Plus Expo, I went to the Sony booth and I was talking to the guy about my situation. And I told the guy, listen, you know, I love my 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 A57 camera that I shoot with and I record with. But when it comes to doing video, it sucks. And he was like, oh, man, you know, uh, sorry to hear that. He goes, you might want to look into this new camera. So uh, this camera it's it's not your regular camera. You don't have to swap out any lenses. And it's cool because it's constantly a 2.8. So the 2.8 allows you to shoot low-light photos with very minimal issues. I know this is all techie shit that nobody wants to hear about, but th- there's a point to this. Anyway, so the retail for this camera is $1,300. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, Rich, why the fuck are you buying a $1,300 camera if you can't change the lenses? Well, this camera has a zoom from 24 millimeters to 200 millimeters. So the lens I walked around with was a 200 millimeter lens. So it was it was pretty much the same. This uh, this camera is going to do 4K video with the firmware update. It does uh, 60 frames per second, 1080p, all the fun stuff, all the bells and whistles, um, automatic focus, super quiet for video. It's it's fantastic. So. I go to the Sony style store here in New York City in Roosevelt Field and I go to buy the camera camera. They had one camera left and I said, oh, I'm going to come pick it up. Camera was sold out. Yeah, pretty much. So for those of you that are curious, it is. uh, This little guy right here, this is a this is the Sony RX 10. See, big ass fucking lens. And like I said, it um, zooms out all the way to 200 millimeters. So, see, it's a fairly big lens. But it's a it's a Carl Zeiss lens, which in turn makes it, you know, it makes it a uh, very, very expensive piece of glass. So, there you have it. Awesome camera. So, what ends up happening is uh, Roosevelt Field was sold out. They're like, oh, yeah, we don't have any. You can go pick it up at Walt Whitman. Now, the Walt Whitman Mall is another mall here in New York City and Long Island, as a matter of fact, and it's a, it's a more affluent mall. They have, you know, Henry Bendel, you know, all the real nice stuff. They actually have a very kick-ass Microsoft store, which, ironically enough, is right across from an Apple store, so I'm sure those guys get into fights, much like Anchorman, when they go on their lunch break. So, go into the Sony-style store at Walt Whitman Guy says, oh, you know, what can I do for you? I'm like, listen, I need this camera. I've been looking for it. I was looking for it at Roosevelt Field, blah, 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 blah. Again, pay attention. This camera, MSRP, is $1,300. So I walk up. The guy says, hey, yeah, we got the camera for you. So first thing they try to do, and and uh, for those of you that are familiar with GameStop, I know you guys love this. First, they ask me if I need any accessories. I tell them, nope. Don't need any accessories, none whatsoever. Guy goes, oh, but do you need an SD card? I'm like, nope, sold my old camera, got a, a drawer full of SD cards, don't need it. Okay, then. So the guy's like, all right, he doesn't want any accessories. So already you could see he was he was a little he was a little antsy that I'm buying, you know, a $1,300 camera and I don't want any accessories. So the guy takes my information. I pay him because I have a Sony card, swipes me through. Guy entered it wrong. Card didn't work. He's like, oh, it's a Sony card. Okay. So when you buy this camera, they're running a little deal. 
24 months financing. Big ass fucking sign. I mean, huge. Stevie Wonder could see it. That's how big this sign was. So the sign is there 24 months. So the guy says, oh, you know, you want 12 months financing? I'm like, why would I take 12 months if you have a big ass sign that says 24? He's like, oh, yeah, right. So he gives me the 24 months. So I kid you not, I pay for the camera. I give him my card and my driver's license. Give him that. I didn't hear it. My wife heard it. The guy says to the guy that was ringing me up, make sure to check the signature. So she didn't tell me till we left, obviously, because she knew I'd get pissed off and not buy the camera. So that's the, that's the funny part of this. Think about it. You walk into a store, you know exactly what you want, right down to the model number, the specifications, everything. You don't want no accessories. You don't want nothing just your product you pay for it you give your id but yet just your id that has your photo on it and your name and the card that's signed on the back they still said to check the signature so i was you know i thought about it i was a little annoyed a little taken aback by it so i spoke to josh who's one of our writers and i said josh you know i went to this mall i did this and this and this bought this they did this he's like yeah because look at you and, you know, I'm not, I, I make, I make no, I make no excuses for, you know, what color I am or whatever, but it was just crazy that I went in there. I didn't go in there, you know, with my pants hanging off my ass or, you know, the typical stereotypes that you would expect when, um, exactly. Thank you, Mortis. Mortis says in the chat, that'll teach you to not be white. Exactly. It, it, it's crazy because you, you probably laugh. But the fact is that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, there you go. A little vibrate on there. It's crazy that nobody will look at you differently. And like I said, I wasn't no, no, no baggy pants or giant hooded sweatshirts or any of that shit. Just regular dude that wanted a big expensive piece of glass for his camera. And that was it. But it just really irritated me because it's this this still exists. And it's it's not it's not the first time that something like that has happened. We went to um to a place that sold dogs in the mall. Now you know these places, you've seen them, and they had an English bulldog and the lady was like, oh, I'm like, Oh, you know, I'd like to see, you know, pet the dog. And she was like, Yeah, well, we only bring the dog out for serious buyers. So it's funny to me because people people say, Oh yeah, you know, you know, serious buyers only. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you know that I don't have money burning a hole in my pocket and I want to buy this dog or I want to buy this whatever. And it's just the preconceived notions that, that still exist. It's like, yo, it's 2014. There should, I, it it almost, it was funny because one of the guys I work with, he joked about what happened here in New York city recently with Barney's where the guy went and he bought, you know, a a $1,300 belt or whatever it was, and the cops arrested him and all that shit. But it's crazy. Like, you walk in, you have your money, you have your ID if you get ID'd, but still, you people bad don't, they look at you oddly, and it just just tripped me out. I I was mad for the better part of an hour. I was really mad about it, and I really wanted to go in the Sony store and just be a complete belligerent piece of shit, because that's what happens. It's like, you try not to be stereotyped, and then you do. So then you got to really accentuate that stereotype and be a complete asshole. 
So I was trying. Yeah, ex- thank you, Slick. See, Slick said it. He wanted to be himself. Exactly. You know? And, and, and <laughs> the guy paid with a prepaid rush card. That's why he was profiled. Yeah, but you know what it is? It's funny because you guys, we're joking about it, but think about it. You walk in. You got your money. They ask you for your ID. You hand your ID over. Your ID is you, clearly. You know, minus in my case, I'm rocking the the, the Reed Richards because my hair grew in, but it's still me, you know? And it's like, I got money because that's the thing. It's not like my card got declined. It's like, yo, I got dough on this card. So I was I was super pissed off. It was it was crazy. But, you know, talking about it as as we all get older, it's funny because, and I'm sure Slick can can vouch for this kind of stuff. You go into certain neighborhoods, you walk into a store, the the employee follows you around the whole store. Can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? You know, you walk in here, you walk in there, and just just weird things happen. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen all the different things. I, you know, you, I get looked at because you know my wife is white and I'm not. I've you know we've had that happen. It's 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 just fun stuff. But I figured I'd share that with you guys because. It, it trips me out that here we are in 2014 with ID, plastic and everything, and it still applies. Oh, my God. Mortis, you were you were a Columbine dude like you were dressed with a trench coat and shit. Oh, man, I can imagine that shit. Uh, Mortis in our chat sharing, um, you know, getting looked at suspiciously. <laughs> um, well, Slick says Rich is a better man than me because they would not have received my money. That's the thing. Uh, my wife didn't say anything for that reason because she knew I wouldn't have bought the camera. And she knew she bought me a uh, brand new uh, kick-ass tripod for Christmas. So she wanted to do the right thing and uh, make sure, you know, that I, I got the cool fucking tripod that I have the, the camera to go with it. So, you know, it was a, a cool, uh, yeah, it's the instant gratification. Slick is saying in the chat that he would have bought it online. And that's the thing, dude, like... Instant gratification is a pain in the ass. And that's a problem with, especially if you're a a tech junkie. And I know most of you guys in the chat can vouch for that where, you know, you you want a new game, you want the new system. Sure. You could go on Amazon and order with Amazon prime and possibly have it tomorrow, but you want to hold the shit in your hand right now. It was, it was, you know, it was crazy. So Mortis is saying April 1999 when Columbine happened was my senior year in high school. I got harassed so much. The trench coat was my only coat and it was especially cold one April day. I was accused of calling in a fake bomb threat at school once. Holy shit. That's crazy. That's what happens. Um, Yeah, I know Slick. Slick says, you know, walking out and saying fuck them is instant gratification for me too. Absolutely. Anyway, I figured I'd uh, share a little a little racial profiling with you guys to start the year off. But um, I saw a lot of you guys talking about your your exactly talking about your resolutions, and uh, this is the last piece of the monologue before I wrap things up. Resolutions are very interesting for me, just because you see people and it's the usual suspects. Yeah, man, my resolution is to go to the gym get in shape, stop smoking, stop drinking, you know, not do an eight ball of meth, uh, you know, not punch my spouse in the eye, what, you know, all these, these stupid things. And the funny thing about it is, especially if you go to the gym and I shared this on, on Facebook today, you go to the gym January 1st 
and it's it's people going insane and they go insane from January 1st to I'd like to say to January 24th and then it tapers off and it's exactly that it's these guys they all run in the guys the girls you know one 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 twinkie too many uh, one six pack too many they want to get in there they want to get healthy and they're there they come in they buy all the shit and I mean all the shit you know Nike tracksuit brand new running shoes they run in they got their little Fitbit on their heart rate monitor all piss and vinegar an hour later <sighs> just just dying just flop sweat and disappointment and it's funny to me because you know it, one somebody asked me at work oh you know did, are you did you make any resolutions for the new year I'm like no none whatsoever but we were joking about it I said the only resolution I'd like to have would be to win the lotto but that's you know we'd all love that but in all but in all seriousness uh on the on the topic of resolutions i think that um 2014 and you guys will get a kick out of this i think 2014 the filter is going to be really off you know how usually i come on air and i talk about situations and occasionally i leave people's names off you know because i don't want to i don't want to throw them under the bus well 2014 head first into the bus it's gonna be like saw when the lady's eye got ripped out of her head and she jumped in front of a train because of how hideous she looks i'm pretty much gonna be the person pushing people in front of the train going forward i i figured you know the best the best way to do things is to go all in and um yeah that's that's the that's the 2014 mtr resolution uh so don't get don't get thrown in front of the bus because there, there would you'll be you will be mentioned on air. Simple as that. No more, no more um, sweeping names under the rug. Just because it, it doesn't make sense, you know. It's um, it's a, it's an insult to myself and and to you guys because some of you guys a lot of times know what situation I'm talking about or whom I'm talking about. So, 2014, that's the resolution um, being super unfiltered, 100. percent Started kind of a little bit in December, and Slick knows a couple of situations I shared with him, and it was straight, no filter, not giving a shit, and um, you know that's that's how it is. It's it's as easy as that. So that's my uh, my resolution anecdote to get things started. Anyway, tonight's topics: Anderson Silva now is a Gumby stunt double. We're gonna talk about that, and um, you know. It is what it is. We're going to talk about Anderson Silva's leg and the fact that he has pretty much the the blue lion strapped to his leg after it broke in a in a in a crazy turn of events at the UFC pay per view. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about WWE Raw gaming was a little light this week, so we're going to talk about a couple of different gaming things. I did want to discuss. We got a lot of entertainment news. We're going to try and take your calls and uh, yeah, so. Let's get right to it and talk some MMA, shall we? All right, so let's talk about UFC 168. There was a lot about UFC 168 that people, you know, between... The, you know, the, the guy farting during the fight, which was ridiculous. Uh, I want to talk about CR the killer 
taking on John Howard in a, in a ridiculous, ridiculous match. And this took place during the prelims. Uh, CR the Killer followed him from the Golden Glory days. This guy, name says it all. The guy is a problem. But like a lot of guys that come over from Japan or from other promotions, you have that situation where the guy comes in and he just he just doesn't hit his stride. Happened with uh, Takanori Gomi, um, Rampage to a degree, Hendo to a degree. But those guys they kind of they kind of got out of the funk and they went about their business. Cr the Killer took on John Howard, and John Howard always known for for awesome highlight reel slams, and not for nothing. This this the slam he delivered in that fight was ridiculous. Pretty much. He did Ryback's shell shock in a fight. That's how crazy it is. If you guys get a chance, um, Slick, if you do me the honors, cue up uh, the fight that I'm going to put in the chat um, and let people see that slam. It was it was beautiful. It was, it was a beautiful fucking slam. I was like, wow. You know, not because it was the guy pretty much doing Ryback's shell shock, but just because... That that was just a beautiful, beautiful slam. And the fact that the fight didn't end based on that is ridiculous because, like I said, you know, Howard looked really good in there, super aggressive, especially in the first round. Um, CR had some great combinations. He was starting to hit his stride. Uh, round two, definitely, he really, um, you know, he really did a better job with, with, with his striking, but John Howard just looked good. And the fact is that, that slam, the problem is the judges look at that shit, and even if the guy's pushing the other guy back, they're going to remember that slam. That slam is going to be in their mind, and they're going to be like, oh, shit, you know, that was ridiculous. So definitely one of the highlights from the undercard. Also, um, I expected Dennis Seaver and Manny Gambirian's fight to actually go into into really violent territory. Now, I don't want to say it was a paint by numbers fight because it really wasn't, but I expected. I mean, man, you know, Manville has serious punching power. So does Dennis Seaver. So I actually expected somebody to really take a nap in this fight. That wasn't the case. They actually, these guys they had a really awesome war. A lot of back and forth action. Uh, Manny Gambirian, um, great asset to the featherweight division, and you know it, it's always weird because I always feel that. I don't see him fight as much as he should, primarily, obviously, because of injuries and things. But I was really tripped out with, um, you know, with I'm like, wow, it feels like I haven't seen Manny Gambirian fight in like three years. But it was just, you know, injuries and things like that. But uh, of course, losing a fight via unanimous decision sucks. But he looked good in that fight. So, I mean, hopefully he'll stick around in the featherweight division for a little longer. Uh, Ultimate Fighter contestant Michael Johnson took on Glacian Tebow. Uh, Gleason Tebow is no fucking slouch whatsoever, and um, Michael Johnson took his lunch with a, a beautiful knockout in the second round, minute and thirty two seconds. Caught him in the in the temple and just dropped him like a sack of potatoes. It was nasty, and it was funny too because Tebow was looking really good in the first round, um, really aggressive. Had him clinched against against the fence, dropping knees to the body and the legs. Uh, they traded some short punches to close the round out, but then. In the second round, Johnson started working the jab, working the jab, and they started throwing leather, and then all of a sudden, boom, that was a wrap. Lights out for Gleason Tebow. Michael Johnson gets a nice little win. Uh, minute and 32 in the second round. Now, 
I want to talk about Chris Lieben and Uriah Hall's fight because there's a there's a huge um, there, there there was a lot of discussion on Twitter, a couple of different um, fan pages that I'm part of, and um, even with our own listeners about this fight. Like a lot of people felt that Uriah Hall looked totally totally amazing in this fight. Um, I remember Val said that he was impressed with Uriah Hall's um, knee strike, which was very nice. Um, some people are saying that Uriah Hall, even though he's has a ton of talent, he always seems very tentative in there, you know, and a lot of people were really unsure of the either was Uriah Hall that good or did Chris Lieben look that bad? So, uh, you know, I want to kind of share that with you guys in, in, in two different uh, from two different points of view. I like Chris Lieben guys, a veteran, super veteran, first season of the Ultimate Fighter Went in there, welcomed Anderson Silva into the UFC. If if Chris Lieber wouldn't have had that fight with Anderson Silva, we wouldn't have people wouldn't have jumped on the Anderson Silva hype train the way they did. And that's how far back, you know, you know, people people talk about it. And it's it's funny because Jay says in the chat that Chris is done. You know what it is? Chris Lieben guys had a lot of highs and lows. He had some 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 really serious substance abuse problems, went to rehab, got himself cleaned up. You know, he's got suspended a couple of times, you know, in the UFC. It's it's just his career's been, you know, it's been like like that, you know, just up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's funny because Lieben is a, is a tough fucking dude. He is a tough dude. And for him to quit on the stool, there there had to have been more. Maybe he just maybe he just felt that he wasn't he just wasn't the way he used to be. I mean, I like what um. You know, Jay says he looked bad in his last few fights. Mortis is saying, I think Chris is just exhausted in his life. And and you know what it is? It's funny because when he when he got past the substance abuse problems and he started coaching and, and being a teacher, he really, he seemed motivated. He was very positive, very upbeat. But it was just crazy how, you know, it, it was, um, you know, the way it ended was just crazy. Like, like... Not to say that it was funny because Lieben, when he quit, he was like, yo, I'm done. And a lot of people are like, yo, is he done fight-wise or he's just done with MMA? I don't know, but it's like you you have, maybe he had an epiphany. And that's one of those things that people really, you know, we talked about this when we were talking about George St. Pierre. Like sometimes you just have a a moment of clarity and you're like, yo, that that's it. I'm done. You know? And a lot of, and a lot of guys they say that they're like yo I'm done, and that's it. It's sometimes there's no reason. Sometimes it's a it's something that that really brings it full circle. Sometimes it's family obligations. It it varies. But in Lieben's case, he had so much going on, and it, you know it, even if the guy walked away from the sport tomorrow, I have to admit that Lieben is has been a warrior. The guy. He has all those great memories. I, I mean, yeah, most of them were of him being pissed drunk and breaking doors. But even though he was a he was a psychopath, he was part of what made that season of the Ultimate Fighter memorable. Yeah, everybody talks about you know Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, but people forget about Lieben and Koscheck's beef in the house. Uh, Lieben fucking breaking the door off the hinges. It was it was insanity. Like every Ultimate Fighter after that, just. They always tried to create a Chris Lieben. I think the guy that was the closest was Junie Browning, which, uh, you know, the Junie Browning stories were ridiculous during the season, that particular season of The Ultimate Fighter. And in my, in my, you know, in my estimation, I feel that if Lieben is done, 
you know, if it's on his own terms and he feels that that it's time to go, I respect that. The guy's been fighting. Like I said, think of how long it's been since the first Ultimate Fighter came on. What year did the Ultimate Fighter come on? Do you guys remember? I want to say uh, 2001, maybe. Am I am I am I am I wrong in that estimate? 2001, maybe or 2002, 2004. Thank you, Mortis. Yeah. So think about it. 2004 to 2014. That's 10 years that this shit has been. You know, the guy's been in there. There's not many of those guys left. Think about it. You got Lieben and possibly Koscheck are the only other guys left because I think Rashad came in in the second season. Ah, 2005. Thank you, Mortis. Yeah, I don't have any notes in front of me, but that's what I'm saying. Like, these guys, you know, if if Lieben, if Lieben walks away, 2005 still, nine years. If you really want to want to get super technical, nine years of, of you know, being being in the, in the sport is insane. Think about it. All the training camps, all the injuries, all the, you know, all the, the, the blunt force trauma to your head and your extremity. Come on. It's, it, it's, it's okay. Like I said, some people felt Uriah Hall only looked as good as he did because Lee, it wasn't the Lieben that we know. Others felt that Uriah Hall, this was the coming out party and he looked really good in the fight. And some people are just, you know, yeah, exactly. And thank you for that, Mortis. And Mortis make, makes a valid point. He was, you know, Lieben was fighting before the Ultimate Fighter. Like the Ultimate Fighter obviously catapulted these guys to the mainstream. But it's true, he was fighting before then, all the smaller promotions. So again, it just takes its toll on you. And like I said, think about all the guys that were left over from that season. Kenny Florian, analyst, injuries, done. Koscheck, we don't even know. Um, Lieben, Bobby Southworth was on that season too, Mortis. Do you remember what happened to Bobby Southworth? Is he still fighting? Because I remember... Bobby Southworth was a guy that people thought was going to win the whole thing. I remember that. Bobby Southworth was a fucking problem. And then it was just, um, it was weird. But that's what I'm saying. All those guys from that first season, look at them. Forrest is retired. Bonner is, 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 <laughs> Bonner is, you know, <laughs> both guys are in the Hall of Fame. That's the crazy part. So to see that, it, it, it's, it's disheartening, but. It is what it is. So, oh, fuck. <laughs> Jay says Bobby Southworth works at, Bobby Southworth works at GameStop. Get out of here, Jay. <laughs> Fucking asshole. So, uh, Diego Brandao and Dustin Poirier, and I know Mortis is going to agree with this. Uh, Diego Brandao came in super heavy. Super heavy. Dude was five pounds off. For his final weigh-in. Five pounds. He weighed in at 150.1. It was um it was it was ridiculous. Guy is off five pounds and he just shrugged it off like it was nothing. And that actually I think pissed off Dustin Poirier even more so. Dude was dude was listen. This is this is something we talk about a lot. And there's a lot of people that, and they're they're very vocal about this stuff, about disrespecting your opponent. And I want to get into that a little bit because I want to talk about Ronda Rousey. I want to talk about some stuff with Chris Weidman's camp. So this, I wanted to bring up this fight for that reason. Think about this. 
you get paid X amount of money. Say this guy made $25,000 for his fight. And your job, you get 25 grand. Show up for 15 minutes of work. Just saying, just are just again, these aren't the, the the accurate numbers. I'm just throwing this out there. Say your fight, 25 grand. You got you come into show, you get a bonus if you win, whatever the case may be. Your job, you have, I don't know, say you have 16 weeks to prepare. 16 weeks to get ready. Your job on this date is to come in at 145 pounds. This is your job. Your job is make weight and fight. That's it. This guy, not only did he not make weight, but he wasn't even apologetic about it. He was just like, eh, whatever. And the UFC, of course, took a a cut of his purse to give it to Dustin Poirier. But it's just the fact that, that, think about it. You're paid to eat, sleep, train, make weight. Like, that's, that's, that's it. Your job is to make weight. And and the fact that you couldn't even be bothered to make weight, I, I can see I, I really agree that that's an insult. Now, the thing that we everybody's talking about is that a lot of fighters are way too nonchalant with them not making weight and losing money. So I saw a very interesting post, I believe it was on Google Plus, about that. And people were talking about, you know, Diego Brandao not giving a fuck about being overweight. And what ended up happening was that somebody came up with a really good idea. For each pound that you're overweight, that's 10% for every pound. So this guy was five pounds overweight. He should have lost 50% of his purse to his opponent. I guarantee you, when you start telling fighters, yo, for every pound you're overweight, you're going to lose 10%. I guarantee you dudes will will start taking shit seriously. Because if you're five pounds overweight and you lose half of your half of your purse and you got to pay your instructors, your coaches, training partners, if you got to come in, uh, whatever supplementation, travel, you lose 50 percent for being a jackass. You fucking deserve it. Like, that's what people, you know, doing something like that would have really I think it would motivate fighters to not fuck that up. Because, yeah, he had to give up a portion of his purse, and he was way too nonchalant about it. And again, I don't know this guy's situation. I don't know if it's a health thing or whatever, but it's like, yeah, well, that Anthony Johnson was a very different situation. I'm glad you brought him up, by the way, Mortis. But seriously, in Diego Brandao's case, way too nonchalant. First of all, his first weigh-in, he was eight pounds overweight after... His final attempt, he got down to 150. He walked in practically at 160 pounds. And he has to fight at 145. Like, I don't understand where it went wrong, but that's the kind of shit that irks me because either you end up getting a catchweight catchweight fight or you end up getting a fight where the guy who's heavier has a slight advantage. It's insane. And these guys need to be punished more. You're paid to show up, make weight, and, and, and fight. Like, that's the thing. Pro, pro, you know, professional wrestlers, same deal. You get paid to look a certain way and wrestle. 
This is something that I, you know, we've talked about before. If part of your requirements for your job are, you know, your body has to be a certain way or you have to dress a certain way. This is all part of your job. It's like your uniform. That's it. Your cutting weight is your uniform. You got to make sure you go in there in fighting shape. It's crazy. And then the funny thing is we were we were joking about it because it's like the ladies you know, not not to not to make it seem like the ladies have a harder job, but in essence, the women have a harder job cutting weight because think about it. Say say a woman has a fight, and the week before her fight or the week of her fight, she gets her period. You got bloating, you got water weight, you got all that shit going on, and they still got to cut weight to fight. So think about that. Think about the fact that the, that you know the the ladies have to cut weight. If they're dealing with feminine issues, they got to cut more weight and they still make weight to get on the scale. Like, that's the shit that irks me. Like, this dude was super nonchalant about showing up eight pounds overweight. Meanwhile, Rousey and Tate cut a fuckload of weight, were ready to rock and roll days before. Days before. Because if you guys saw the weigh-ins when we had them playing on MyTakeRadio.com, it's it's the same thing. These these women, you know, they cut weight. They they were ready to rock and roll. And this fucking guy who's been in the game for a while, he was just like, yeah, you know, eight pounds sucks, whatever. But th- I agree with, with with what we were discussing. Ten percent for every pound you're overweight. That's it. Mortis says, get rid of Diego and give his his slot to a fighter. Who cares? You know. Simple as that. for every pound you're overweight. I guarantee you dudes will not fuck around. They will not fuck around when you're getting into the territory of losing 80% of your purse. Because that's Imagine that. Imagine if that would have been the rule and the guy showed up 8 pounds overweight. You you tell him like this. Either you cut the weight and you make weight and you you give up a portion of your purse for your final weigh-in or you don't weigh in and you lose what the amount from your purse that you have now oh dudes dudes will be insane with that and this is something that even even myself and and mortis can vouch for this as well you know you know your body's limits you know that if you can't cut down to 145 then maybe you should fight at 155 that's it why why put that that beating on your body and it's funny because mortis brings up anthony johnson when Anthony Johnson fought in the UFC, one of the things everybody talked about was like, oh, that guy's a big, he's a big 170. He's a big 185. He's a big 205. Like, like every time you looked at the dude, he he just, he just kept growing. He just kept becoming a bigger fucking dude. And that's, that, that, there's a multitude of things that affect that. You know, maybe you're retaining water. Maybe you're lifting too much weight and getting too bulky. Maybe you got to make some alterations to your diet. That, that's what I'm saying. Like these dudes, you know, your body, you know it when it was, when I, when I was in high school and we did powerlifting, it's like my job was here's the weight class you're in the day of that, that, that meet, I had to show up at that weight class, which I think at the time was 185. I think it was, I was 185 or so probably one. Yeah. I think it was 185 for that. And it's like on that date, I had to show up. At 185, I got on the scale, I'd get weighed, you do your th- your two lifts, and that was it. And then they'd tally up your totals, and that'd be good, and, and you'd be done. 
That was it. And if you go down there weighing over 185, you're automatically disqualified. You're done. It's not even a question of, you know, it's not a question of, oh, yeah, you know, this and this and this. We knew I had 90 days of preparation for any weightlifting meet. And it was always the same thing. Cut weight. Start curbing your diet. Don't eat too shitty. You know, if if you were taking creatine or supplementation, don't take it because creatine makes you retain water. Like, this is the kind of shit you know as just an individual. And for these dudes to just sweep that shit under the rug is insane. I see Strider says, I wish I could be 185. Uh, Mortis says, personally, I don't think fighters should cut more than 5 or 10 pounds, but fighters are going to do what they're going to do. It could it could have long-term effects cutting 20 pounds and more on a regular basis. It's true. You know, six pounds, yeah. I think I've cut about six pounds for, for when I was, you know, for high school, for stuff for weightlifting in high school. Cut six pounds. I've seen guys that did wrestling, you know, they cut 20 pounds in two days. Like crazy shit, but your your body, it's true, it takes a beating. And these are the things that, the, you know, the, the long-term effects haven't really been discussed because nobody really is putting a spotlight on them. You know when it'll happen? When somebody fucking dies. Then it'll be like, oh my God, you know, Fighters shouldn't cut no more than five or ten pounds. Simple as that. Anyway, so let's get into a couple of other things. Uh, Jim Miller's fight with Fabricio Camoz was tremendous. Jim Miller continues to be the man. His armbar submission was was beautiful. Awesome transitions. Miller is a, Miller is a fucking problem. That's all I gotta say. I was heartbroken that Josh Barnett lost to Travis Brown via knockout at a minute in the first round for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm a big Josh Barnett mark. Love that shit. Josh Barnett is, a, you know, when he's fought for, you know, the New Year's Eve cards, and I'm sure Mortis has seen a few of these, he always cuts the awesome wrestling promos. Josh Barnett is um, is a tremendous, tremendous competitor, and there, there's no disrespect to Travis Brown. He was a better man that night. Uh, beautiful striking to catch it. And, you know, Barnett Barnett can bounce back. That's not a problem. And honestly, if Josh Barnett leaves the sport, he needs to get into professional wrestling. This guy, you look at him, he has everything that the WWE needs in a performer, in a, in a crossover performer. You got the look, you got the mic skills, and you got the genuine ability. Like, yeah, you look at Brock Lesnar and you see that. You see Brock Lesnar's... Um, ability. You see it. But Brock Lesnar's problem has always been he just doesn't have the presence, the mic work, to make it work. Josh Barnett, he has the look because he's a big dude, has the the athletic pedigree because he's a, a tremendous, tremendous athlete and is awesome on the mic. That's it. Simple as that. Anyway, so let's talk about the uh, the Bantamweight title fight, shall we? Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate was a glorified clinic. Ronda Rousey, a couple of things I learned out of this fight. Number one, Ronda Rousey's striking is good, but it's questionable. It is questionable. She can take a punch, that's for sure, but her striking is questionable. And a couple of people are like, yeah, man, you know, fucking, how are you going to say Ronda Rousey's striking, blah, 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 she wins... All her matches, and uh, yes, she does. Ronda Rousey wins all her fights with what works, and that is her armbar. 
But think about it. She, she She's had that maneuver drilled into her head a thousand different ways. She, it, it's like anything else, you know? Do not fear the man that practices a thousand kicks. Fear the man that practices one kick a thousand times. Said by the great Bruce Lee. It's true. Think about it. Ronda Rousey, she, she drills that arm bar. Drills that arm bar. Her mom reinforced that with her growing up. Drilled it in there. Her being in there. Doing the arm bar. And I'm talking about hours upon hours. Hey, you transition from this. You grab it from here. You get it from under there. You do this. You do that. This is why if people don't learn to defend better, they're going to get caught in the armbar on a consistent basis. <laughs> exactly, Strider. Exactly. But it's true. It's like, hey, you can transition from, you know, an omoplata into the armbar. Or maybe you're going to set up the triangle choke, sli- you know, slide to the right, set up the armbar. Maybe you're going to do top mount, secure the first hook, slide over, pull the arm. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that people don't understand that. But the argument that I had was, I was like, listen, her striking, her striking got exposed a little bit in that fight. Yeah, man, but the striking doesn't mean shit as long as she's winning. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because you know what happens with people that use the same maneuver to win all the time? People are going to figure it out. They're going to drill it and they're going to keep drilling it until they break it. And the problem is that people, they're like, yeah, man, I drilled, you know, I took drills to to get out of the arm bar. How many drills did you take? Three months, six months. The person who's going to beat Ronda Rousey is either going to beat her on the feet or is going to do the same thing she does, which is if she's drilling the arm bar, I'm going to be drilling arm bar escapes. I'd bring in every different judo practitioner there is to put me through the ringer to ensure I, I it would be so bad that I'd be fighting arm bars in my sleep. You'd be sleeping, you know, and you, you know, your wife leans over to grab you and you're like, you know, you're trying to defend yourself because of that. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, like people, they go and they're like, yeah, you know, have you been working on your arm bar defense? And you see them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been working on on my arm bar defense. Clearly not, not that much. What what Misha Tate did though is she worked on her sprawl. You know, Ronda Rousey got out of the second round, got out of you know, got into the deeper water, so to speak, and it really worked. I mean, she really put in the work, and um, like anything else, she got caught out there. I mean, Strider says it best in the chat: a stride, a, a soldier's worst enemy is predictability, and that's that, that's exactly it. Ronda Rousey, everybody knows her arm bar is her bread and butter. But the thing is that people, they don't realize that this is because she's been doing this since, you know, yay high. So what you have to do as a fighter is train every day. You got your boxing, you got your wrestling, you got your Muay Thai, you got arm bar defense. Arm bar defense for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know? Working on armbar defense with your grandmother's hugs. Yes, Strider. People laugh, but that's exactly it. This is how you're going to break that riddle. And of course, everybody's talking about, yeah, well, you know, if she fought Cyborg, she'd lose. Yes, if she fought Cyborg, she'd lose. But here's the thing. First off, Cyborg, 
doesn't want to cut the weight. Ronda doesn't want to go up because she's the champion and she feels she doesn't have to go up. Tito Ortiz wants a fuckload of money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That fight, we'd love to see it. And I think that if Cyborg fought Ronda, Cyborg would win from a striking standpoint. But if the fight goes to the ground, different ball game. I don't know, you know, I don't know how, how not to say that Cyborg's Brazilian jiu-jitsu is bad, because, you know, she's, she's, she has a, a solid uh, jiu-jitsu background. But again, the arm bar is the arm bar. You leave your arm out there, that's it. Think about this. She, she got the arm bar from a clinch against the fence, and um, Rousey gets the takedown. Then ha- from the half reversal, she got the arm. So just think about that. Think about the transition. Now, here's the funny thing. The big, 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 big uh, controversy was that Rousey didn't shake Misha's hand. You know, but she says she respected, she respects Tate, but said that someone insulted her family and she wouldn't shake their hand. So I'm sure she's got, you know, you know, she's used to, um, you know, she's used to pretty much the hatred that exists between them. So the question I have for you guys is everybody's upset that Ronda Rousey didn't shake Misha Tate's hand because it was unsportsmanlike. Here's the, here's the thing. I just spent 15 minutes beating your face into fucking silly putty and I'm going to shake your hand again. Sportsmanship. Yes. That's what we're brought up with, but violence is violence and fights are fights. Think about it. If you have siblings, here's a good here's a great example. You have siblings. You and your brother or sister get into a fight. After the fight's done, you don't fucking shake hands. You go into your room, you sulk, and you contemplate smothering them with a pillow. That's what you do. You don't think about, oh, we should shake hands. Get the fuck over yourselves. That's the thing that kills me. Like, like we as a society get offended for the worst shit. Yeah, but still, fighters are adults and kids are kids. But again, even 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 adults are still kids. I mean, Mortis, I see where you're coming from, but think about it. How many how many 30, 40 year old guys do you know that are juvenile as shit? Answer me that question. Grown men with kids and jobs, fucking babies, fucking giant pussies, giant drippy pussies they are. Seriously, uh, I, again, I don't, the, the thing with sportsmanship, it's, it's, it's questionable. If, if Misha Tate said something about Ronda Rousey's family or whatever, yeah, fuck it. You insult me. I'm not shaking your hand. I'm going to rip it off and beat you with it. Doesn't mean I respect you less. See, that's the thing. We have a preconceived notion that, yeah, you got to shake hands and whatever, but think about it. Fight was over. She said she respected her, didn't shake her hand. So what? So what? Does it matter? That's the problem. We want to live vicariously through these fighters. And we forget this is entertainment. It is entertainment. Yeah, Silva invited Chell over for some barbecue. But answer me this. With the beef that Vanderlei has with Chell, will that have the same result? I don't think so. People forget, and I, and I joke about this all the time, all women secretly hate each other so even if ronda rousey said 
oh, I respect Misha Tate. She's a, you know, she's a great fighter. I guarantee you she was in the car like, yo, fuck that bitch. I should have broken her arm and beat her with it. It's just the way shit is. It's just the way it is. They all hate each other. You know? That's it. And and people, they, I, I kid you not, Google+, Twitter, Facebook, it was a flutter. People were just going crazy. I can't believe she didn't shake her fucking hand. You know, blah, blah, blah. who cares? Who fucking cares? You know who has to be worried about her hand not being shook? Misha Tate. That's it. That's it. Misha Tate is the only person that has to worry about her hand not being shook. Who fucking cares? Think about it. We are watching pretty much the equivalent of Roman gladiators. We are watching live action Spartacus for $65 once a month. It's the equivalent of that. Think about it. Think about episodes of Spartacus. You got the Coliseum. Everybody's cheering. And you're cheering because you want the person to rip the other person off. Yeah, exactly, Strider. But without the gratuitous sex and, and you know, cock shots. But seriously, think about it. You got your Coliseum. And people are cheering violence. Yeah, we're not letting lions loose in the cage. We're, we're evolved. We've evolved. I like that. I like that. Josh says, this is an ancient role. We've evolved. Really? Have you gone to Walmart lately? How many of us have genuinely evolved? Some of us have, but there's some Cro-Magnon looking motherfuckers that are out there. But seriously, like, like the spectacle of sport is, you know, (laughs) in sport we have, yeah, we have, but you know what it is? We still have that, that drive to watch people kill each other. It's, it's in us. It is in us. It, it, it is what it is. And what bothered me, listen, I'm all about sportsmanship. If it's one thing when I have children, there, there's going to be sportsmanship. But I'm also going to be the person that tells my kid, hey, you're not going to win them all. It's like nowadays. Every kid gets a trophy. Every kid gets an award. And then kids don't learn what it's like to lose and not lose. You know? It is what it is. You know, Josh. Josh says afterwards they shake hands. They do. Listen, these chicks hated each other and they still do. And clearly there's unresolved beef that can either be solved with, you know, a snuff film with the two of them or them beating the shit out of each other. And since we're not going to get choice A, we're clearly going to get choice B, which is them beating the shit out of each other. These women, Ronda Rousey headbutted Misha Tate at the weigh-in for their first fight. I kid you not. You know? Simple as that. If you look up their first strike force fight, Slick, if you could uh, pull up that, you could see that. And it's true. Ronda Rousey hates everyone. You know? She she does. She she um she does come off as a bitch. You know? She does she does come off as a bitch. I'm not gonna lie. That season of the Ultimate Fighter, for those of you that watched that season, it did her no favors. But you know what it is? Yeah, she's a little bitchy, definitely a little bitchy. She's definitely gassed. She is very high on herself. But think about it. When you can pretty much rip off somebody's arm in your sleep and you're undefeated and you're the champion, your head's going to get a little big, a little big. You know what's going to happen with Ronda Rousey? She's going to get super gassed. A chick is going to come and bash her over the fucking dome. 
And that's going to be it. She's going to get bashed over the head. Then she's going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to learn from this loss and I'll be back. And that's it. That's it. A good glorified ass whooping will change that. Because you know who, who, who people said was the same way? Gina Carano. Gina Carano, everybody's like, oh, Gina Carano, she's won all these fights. She's the face of women's MMA, blah, blah, blah. Then Cyborg came in there and beat her like she stole something. Then when she beat the hell out of her, oh, Misha Tate's, a, Misha Tate's uh, um, uh, Gina Carano, she's garbage now. She's whack. She's all Hollywood. She sold out. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey are the equivalent of Ken and Tito. They hate each other. They will continue to hate each other. They will probably fight a third time and hate each other just the same. Simple as that. You know, you look at all these people and they're like, yeah, man, you know, I'm upset. It's like, you're, you're upset. Why? Because they didn't shake hands. Did it affect your life? Did, did you, were, were you not able to hug your child? You know, were you not able to hug your child because, because Ronda Rousey didn't shake Misha Tate's hand? Get the fuck out of here. I'm telling you. We are a, 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 a society of pussies. Who cares? She didn't shake her hand. That's between them. Let them let them hash that out. You know how they're going to hash that out? Like I said, good old punches to the face. That's it. Good old punches to the face will solve anything. Anyway, so Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva met in the octagon and uh, yeah. Oh my god! Oh, that's better. Yeah. That that pretty much sums up Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva. Couple of reasons why. First off, you go into this you go into this fight super pumped, pissing vinegar. There were guys walking around Long Island, yeah, Chris Weidman's gonna go in there, he's gonna represent, he's gonna go in it's like okay. I didn't know so many dudes in Long Island gave a fuck about Chris Weidman up until this fight, but I digress. The fact is, we went into this fight, all of us, and I'm talking about all the MMA fans, like, yeah, either Weidman's going to get validation or Anderson Silva's going to claim his soul like Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat and he will ascend to the heavens and deliver it, you know, he'll to claim his soul like Shang Tsung and deliver it to Shao Kahn, a.k.a. Dana White. That's what we thought was going to happen. Never in a million years did I say or did I think that Anderson Silva would be sprawled out on the floor with his leg. Look, his leg was like this. This is this is your normal leg. This was Anderson Silva's leg. I'm using hot rod because fuck him. But yeah, this was this is Anderson Silva's leg. Any other day of the week. This is Anderson Silva's leg that night. There you go. It was it was it was it was bad. It was super bad. It was holy shit that's gruesome. Now we we've talked about this and Mortis knows. You know, we talk about the Corey Hill leg break which um slick if you can find it it's very tough to find. You can see the Corey Hill leg break. Here's the thing. When you see this fight, 
you're looking at the fight and you're like, yeah, man, you know, Chris Weidman was winning. You know, he was going to win that fight. He was going to win. Listen, you cannot see into the fucking future. You don't know. You don't know. Everybody's like, yeah, but Weidman was winning the first round, 10-9. So what? So what? Chael, Chael was winning his first fight with Anderson Silva, and then he got put to sleep in a triangle choke. Stop it. Everybody thinks there's an, 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 excuse me, an, an Illuminati conspiracy. They're like, yeah, man, but you know, there was a guy that tweeted Anderson Silva the night before. Anderson break a leg, just not yours. I'm telling you, man, stop. Stop looking for that shit. Stop it. Here's what happens. You train mixed martial arts. One of the first things that you learn is how to check kicks. You learn how to check kicks. You learn, especially if you're fighting a guy who loves using them. You learn how to check them. And eventually, like anything else, steel sharpens steel. You check enough leg kicks, you get really good at it. Hey, it's your fucking shin. One of the hardest bones in your body. One of the hardest bones, your shin. It's like, yeah, you train enough. It's gonna, You're going to break somebody's leg. It's going to happen. Did I think it was going to be one of the greatest fighters of all time? No. Didn't think that. And for anybody that speaks poorly of Anderson Silva after that fight, you're not a real fan. You're not. You know? You're not a real fan. Seriously. You know what's a great example? If you've ever seen Undisputed 2, um, when uh, Boyka takes on Dolor, the leg break in that fight, when he took on Dolor, was nasty. And yeah, there was special effects and shit, but that's pretty much the level of, of violence there was. Now, Anderson Silva, and I'm going to talk about this, People were automatically writing Anderson Silva off. Yeah, you know, Anderson Silva, fucking, you see that shit? He was going to lose anyway. It's like, you're not a real fan. You're not a real fan. That you're saying Anderson Silva, listen, Weidman won the first round. Yes. But when that round ended, you know, Anderson Silva was, was looking for the triangle. Again. You know? It was it was it was it was disgusting. It was it was a crazy end to the fight. And it just it just bothered me that people were they were like, "Yeah, you know, Anderson Silva this, Anderson it listen. Anderson Silva's made enough money that if he said, "Hey, you know, I'm not going to come back. The injury was too rough." Nobody would speak negatively of him for that reason. And, and thank you, Mortis. Mortis says, half of the U.S. MMA fans are actual fans. Others are just drunk douchebags looking for bloody fights. And no, I mean, yeah, e- even though you us, in his case, was United States, but even us MMA fans as a whole, you know how many dude bro MMA fans I know? I know dude bro MMA fans. Like, yeah, man, you know, I train... And I go to the UFC gym, dude. And yeah, my my Muay Thai is all right. What? Shut up. You buy tap out gear from Sears. 
And th- that's the problem. If you're wearing like tap out MMC or the tap out that has like letters after the name, you bought your shit at Sears. That that tells me two things. One, you buy shit at Sears. Two, you buy shit at Sears and you try to be tough about it. Stop it. Stop that shit. And you and I know those dudes. It'll be like tap out MPS. Yes, tap out manufactured by Philippine short kids. Come on. Out of here. Stop. Listen, I think I own a handful of MMA shirts from the affliction days. Like I have a Sean Shirk t-shirt. I got the rampage shirt with the wolves. I have, I have a Vanderlei shirt. Um, I got a couple of shirts, but it's like, They don't say like Garrett. Well, correction. The Affliction MMA shirts definitely got some Garrett shit on them. But I don't fucking walk around with a chip on my shoulder because I got a t-shirt on. So what? Doesn't mean shit. The guy in the t-shirt is probably whoop my ass. You know, like, like, no. Yeah, see, Mortis, but you got MMA Elite and you bought it at Walmart. I don't. It's fine. You want to know why? You don't want to know. You want to know why? Because you don't walk around with your chest puffed out, and your arms not at your sides. Because you got you know, tap out MPS with a flaming skull with seven dicks flying out of it on your on your sleeve. That's not you. You have an MMA elite shirt on. Okay, it's all good. Seriously, these dudes they go they buy like the big flaming skull you know, random, obscure MMA clothing brand. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. But the thing that got me, and this is where we're going to go into, you know, good sportsmanship. When Chris Weidman saw Anderson Silva got hurt, he said something to his corner, and his corner was pretty much like, ah, oh, he's hurt? Fuck him. Like something like that. Like, oh, you know, like, fuck him. He's hurt. Whatever the case is. Once again, this is not ballet. This is not a team sport. That cage door closes. You are the enemy. My job as your opponent is to put you to sleep, break your arm, do something. Period. Sportsmanship afterwards. Cage door closed. You're a dead man. And again, I don't I, I I did feel that that was a little bit in poor taste, especially if they're like, yo, the dude's legs broke and the and the guy's leg is broken and he was like, Oh fuck him. Yeah, that that's a little that's a little over the top. But, you know, what what do you what are you guys expecting? People people like are people are thinking, it's like and I know a lot of you guys have seen this. It's like when people say, Oh, um, we're gonna put a mic on a quarterback during a football game. And the guy goes, hey, what the fuck are you guys doing? And all of a sudden the news are like, oh my God, you know, he said the F word. Oh, cue the censors, blah, blah, blah. You are putting a live mic in, a, in, a, in, a, in an athlete's helmet or on his gear or you're going into the locker room. Once again, different atmosphere. I'm not condoning that they were like, oh, he broke his leg, fuck him. What I'm saying is that people were really bent out of shape about it. But again, 
You're in the heat of the moment. This shit happens. How many of you guys in the chat have played sports competitively? And how many of you guys have said shit to each other or to opponents competitively that you know you wouldn't say if it wasn't that? Seriously. Like, how many of you guys played football and you talk shit to your opponents on the line? How many of you guys played basketball? Did the same thing. See, great example. Jay was talking about the incident with the live mic where the chick was saying that we're going to get all fucked up. And uh, that was it. He was like, you know, when you put a live mic in Times Square, what do you think drunks are going to yell about? That's it. There you go. Mortis, eighth grade track. Our coach started yelling and cursing at us when we screwed up. That's when I became a man. You know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the, Weidman, the, the Weidman corner situation, yes. I felt it was in poor taste. But the realist in me felt that this is the shit that happens. These guys punch people in the face for a living. What do you think is going to happen? Seriously. It's like what Jay, what Jay said. You hold a camera to a drunk guy, a microphone and camera to a drunk guy in Times Square. Hey, man, happy new year. Yeah, man, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Come on. Wake up, people. Wake up. We're going to be offended to death. But seriously, like, like yeah, it was, it was in poor taste. Was it the worst thing in the world? No. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, he said, fuck him. But whatever. It is what it is. This is, it's not ballet, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, let's get into the other MMA news for this week uh, to wrap things up. $75,000 bonuses. Knockout of the night went to Travis Brown. Submission of the night went to Ronda Rousey. This has been very questionable because people felt that submission of the night should have gone to Jim Miller. While I do agree... The fight as a whole with Rousey and Tate was a war. You know, it was. And of course, you can't award anything to Weidman because, hello, yeah. So yeah, submission of the night went to Rousey. Fight of the night went to Rousey and Tate. $75,000 bonuses. Jay makes an interesting point. He goes, Weidman jumped around like he won clean. Hilarious. It's funny because we were, my wife and I were talking about that and we were like, if I were Chris Weidman, I'd be really pissed off. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, how come? Think about this. The first fight you won because Anderson Silva was fucking around and you knocked him out. Not to say that you wouldn't have beat him, but you beat him because he fucked up. Second time you fought the guy, guy breaks his leg. You didn't really beat him. He broke his leg. Yes, on paper, he won. He did. He won. Period. When it comes to wins and losses, he won both fights. But imagine how weird it must be that both times you just couldn't get, you couldn't get it. You know, you couldn't get that, that victory, that knockout or that submission. Like you, it, it drives you nuts. Like, I, like if I were Weidman, I'd be like, yo, what the hell, man? Oh yeah. I mean, see, Mortis looks at it in a very interesting way. Mortis says, a world-class fighter, the best MMA fighter in the world, broke his leg on your own leg. I'd count that as an accomplishment. Absolutely. I'm not I'm not saying that I wouldn't. But I'm saying, like, think about just the satisfaction of either, you know, submitting him or knocking him out again. You know what I mean? It's exactly. Like, that's a great analogy. Jay says he's almost like Tommy Gunn or Apollo Creed still in the shadow of Rocky. That's it. 
Like Weidman is the champion. He is the top of the class. He is he is the the best middleweight. You know. It's it's true. It is. It's some nice bragging rights, but that's it. It's bragging rights. But think about it. Like, wouldn't it bother you if if the victories you had didn't come by the way you wanted? You know what I mean? Every fighter wants knockout or submission. You don't want decision victories. You don't. Any guy that says, oh, decisions are, decisions are fine with me is full of shit. I'm talking about exactly that. You want to beat the guy. And, the, and, and victories can be achieved just by saying, hey, I, cho- I choked this guy out. Or I knocked this guy out. In Anderson Silva's case, it's like, oh, Anderson Silva was clowning and I caught him. Again, not to say that there, there's no, you know, no disrespect. There's no disrespect to Weidman. Great, great fighter. Awesome guy. And that's it. And, and, and see, Mortis, yeah, a top fighter wants to KO a fighter in their prime and submit him when he's at his best. Exactly. And that's what I'm getting at. Like, if you're looking at, in Weidman's case, he's probably like, yeah, you know, I'm the champion and everything. But there's always that question. Like, what if Anderson Silva didn't showboat that night? Would I have beat him? What if Anderson Silva didn't break his leg that night? Would I have beat him? And that's what I'm saying. Just you question yourself as an athlete. That's not to take anything away. Yep. And and, and it's true. Bottom line, Weidman was a better fighter. And there's, there's no disputing that. Don't get it wrong. For those of you just tuning in, we're talking MMA right now. Do not get it wrong. On those two nights, Weidman was the better fighter. But again, he was the better fighter on the first one because Silva got cocky. On the second one, just he broke his fucking leg, and that's it. But that's what I'm saying. It could have been different. And Mortis, you're 100. I don't. I don't disagree. But I'm just saying, like, as a, it, it it has to be in the back of his mind, like, damn, you know, like fate didn't let me, you know, choke the guy out, or fate didn't let me get another knockout to validate my victory. Because a lot of people, they're always going to be like, yeah, you know, Weidman beat Anderson Silva, but it was because Anderson Silva was showboating being an asshole. And those are the guys that they can just accept that Weidman won. And it's true. He won, bottom line. A W is a W. But, like I said, it, it, it really makes you think. Like, you know, fate, fate just didn't deal him the hand that he wanted. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of both guys. Weidman's from from New York. I got to root for my New York guys. I got to root for them. But Anderson Silva's a fucking legend. Period. Period. And and if his career ends because of that, it's just, it's a tragedy that we can't get to see him continue to entertain us. Because regardless of whether you didn't like his showboating or you didn't like how he conducted himself or you didn't like, eh, he's normal. He's normal. You know, like if you didn't, if you didn't like any of that shit, that's fine. But you can't take away the guy's talent. He was a tremendous, tremendous champion and athlete. That's all I'm saying. So, switching gears and going into some of the other MMA news. uh, Fabricio Verdum will be facing Travis Brown to determine the next contender for Cain Velasquez's UFC heavyweight title. Very, very interesting for a couple of reasons. Travis Brown, he's on on a huge upswing, riding that momentum. Fabricio Verdum, his ground game, second to none. Now, question for you guys. If Cain Velasquez took on Fabricio Verdum, would he lose? I say no. Cain Velasquez has tremendous 
power in his hands, great stand-up. And if he fought Travis Brown, I think Travis Brown's inexperience would be a factor. Well, excuse me, would be a factor. So, very, very interesting. You know? But um, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how you guys feel. I think that either guy that Kane fights, he's going to retain. No disrespect to either guy. But Kane is Kane is on this upper level right now where it's like, you got to come in there and, and you got to knock his block off like JDS did. And even still, like anything else, Kane will go back and try and... Travis Brown definitely has a puncher's chance. Verdum, the ground game is a little sketchy because Kane Velasquez wrestling is, you know, it's fucking insane. So, but either way, I still feel that both guys, Kane can definitely retain against them. So we'll see how it pans out again. That's supposed to go down... Uh, sometime this year and it'll it'll be interesting to see either way either fight i'd like but i'll be honest when i tell you it's not a fight that i would pay 60 dollars for not because no disrespect to kane velasquez but it, you know verdum is verdum and um you know verdum is verdum and and brown eh, you know like they're good fights but they're not fights that they'll be like oh shit you know I got to go and drop $65 like the end of the year card. You know, the, the, the card I just talked about, that was, that's a, that's a, that's a $60 card. Easy. Cain Velasquez. Like if it was Cain Velasquez and Josh Barnett, there, there's a lot of story there, you know, it, and especially, like I said, I'm a big Josh Barnett fan and it, it would have just been awesome to see, but you know, maybe if the card comes together a lot nicer, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll have a uh, second thoughts. Anyway, Dana White, Men uh, was talking about Kat Zingano recently. He said that Kat Zingano gets um, gets another, the next title opportunity. Of course, um, Ronda Rousey will be facing Sarah McMahon at UFC 170 on February 22nd. So keep that in mind. Kat Zingano, she's coming back from the injury. She'll be ready to go this summer. She'll, she's the number one contender, and she will face either Ronda or Sarah McMahon um, after UFC 170. Of course, uh, Ronda Rousey is making a quick turnaround. Olympic bronze medalist in judo facing a silver medalist in wrestling. Both fighters, of course, are undefeated in their careers, and that's that's going to be a, a tremendous fight. A lot of people are saying that Sarah McMahon has better striking, so she has a, a, a better chance from the striking standpoint to take it to Ronda Rousey. I, I will say that when discussing, oh, you know, the the silver medalist wrestling and the bronze medalist in judo everybody's like hey but you know you got to remember if the fight goes to the ground Rousey is way too dangerous with the arm now if you're going to use the wrestling as as a setup for strikes you know shooting in for takedowns and you know using false shoots to get in leg kicks or to get in strikes that's a different story but in terms of the ground game the only way i see Sarah McMahon Getting getting the upper hand in this fight is by keeping top position and trying to really, really utilize the ground and pound. But it's a fight I definitely want to see. And UFC 170 goes down February 22nd. Also, uh, Gilbert Melendez, he'll be facing uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov at UFC 170. Also on that card, the co-main, Rashad Evans and Daniel Cormier. So definitely a solid card. Uh, Co-main with, with Evans and Cormier is going to be solid. And if they make that fight for a shot at John Jones, it's it's going to be worth checking out for sure. Uh, Mortis says if Rousey beats 
Uh, McMahon, Rousey's next fight will be against Brian Caraway in a wig. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what's crazy? It would happen, dude. It would happen. Her, she hates Brian Caraway so much that I think she'd tell him to put on a wig and and get in a, get in, a, in in the cage because that's how that's how deep that beef goes. That's that's what I'm saying. Like everybody's shocked that they didn't shake hands or hug or make out or whatever. They they hate each other. They fucking hate each other. What do you think is gonna happen? Also, at UFC 170. Uh, Alexis Davis will be taking on Jessica I. Uh, Davis is 2-0 in the UFC. I is 1-0. And again, like I said, that card, February 22nd. So the prelims, of course, will air on Fox Sports 1 and um, shape it up to be a nice card. I may actually pick that up. So Anderson Silva, of course, went into surgery. Um, What they did was the surgery was performed by Dr. Steven Sanders. They um, inserted an intramedullary rod into his left tibia. And then the broken fibula was stabilized. The pictures are insane. Um, It's not going to require a separate surgery. And he's going to remain in the hospital for a little bit. No additional surgery is needed. Here's the crazy part. The recovery time is estimated to be between three and six months. With the doctor saying that Anderson Silva could begin to train within six to nine months. It is insane that they're saying that. You know? It's like um, when asked about the prognosis, he said, we're not even 48 hours from the surgery and tibia fractures, though we can get them to heal, can have a slower healing process. My prognosis for healing is three to six months, but there are also soft tissue components that have to heal. If I had to make a guess less than 48 hours from the operation, it would be the fracture healing in three to six months and attempting to train in six to nine months. Mortis says that Silva will be boxing in 2015. He might get that fight against Roy Jones Jr. You know what? I'm willing. I'm willing to take that. I'm willing to take that. Mortis, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a note that you said Anderson Silva and Roy Jones. There you go. Hope he enrolled in Obamacare. Thank you, Strider. <laughs> but seriously, I'm. I'm curious if he comes back. In nine months to fight in the fucking cage, I'm I'll, I'm telling you, they I, hopefully they'll give him a fight with. I'm not saying give him a fight with a can, but give him a fight with like a decent dude, and and that's gonna imagine the buy rate for that for that card. Oh, Anderson Silva coming back after a broken leg, and he's gonna fight you know X guy. <laughs> Jay Santi says uh, Anderson Silva will be the 30th entrant in the 2015 Royal Rumble. Fuck it, why not? Here, here we go. Anderson Silva comes back. GSP super fight. There you go. Comes back from injury. Both guys do the super fight. Then they both retire. Everybody wins. Fuck loads of money. Both guys fight. Uh, you know, GSP, I'm going to go and uh, leave with the aliens after the fight is over. It's normal. It's normal. After fight over, I go get my leg fixed. It's normal. GSP, go aliens. <laughs> no, seriously. Anderson Silva coming back into the cage in nine months will be insane. That's all I'm saying. If he goes and, and he's boxing Roy Jones Jr. Mortis, man, you... You know, I'll send you a fucking uh, a can of monster in the fucking mail. Cause seriously, that's that's crazy. So 
I wanted to talk about UFC's new service that they announced. And the reason I want to talk about this is because um, it ties into the WWE Network a little bit. And I'll tell you why. So they launched um, the UFC Premium Network or the UFC Fight Pass. Now, basically, what's going to happen is the UFC Fight Pass, It's um, it goes live on UFC TV. The first two months are free. So if you guys want to check it out, Go to UFC.TV and you can use the Fight Pass free for two months. The free period ends March 1st. After which, the service is going to be available for a monthly cost of $9.99. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, oh, you know, why should I pick that up? First off, you're going to get more than 150 live fights are going to be network exclusives in 2014. That means like jet like the live event in Singapore this Saturday is going to be there. And on top of that, if the UFC, once the app is live, that app is going to be available on Roku, Apple TV, Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then, you know, the thing, the thing that gets me with this is, and, you know, Mortis is saying the first two fights are free, then you'll have to pay $9.99 for the fights that you used to be able to watch for free on Fox Sports 1. Here's the thing that gets me. Besides this, um, all international seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, including Chael and Vanderlei, will be network exclusives outside of the local markets. So that means that if you're in the U.S., that's the, that's the one way you're going to be able to see it. Uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, initially, you're going to get live fight cards, original programming, all the international versions of The Ultimate Fighter, Past fights, past events, all the way back to UFC 130 are available. Also, all the UFC on Fox events. Plus, you're also going to be able to see uh, Pride events, Strike Force, Affliction, WEC, and Elite XC. Plus, you know, all the other seasons of The Ultimate Fighter are all going to be available on the service. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because a similar model is being discussed for the WWE Network. And I want to get into that a little bit later on in the wrestling segment. I think that this is pretty much where we're going to start seeing um, a lot of our content come from. The reason I say this is because, think about it. You pay for Netflix streaming. You pay for Hulu Plus. They're on your Xbox Live. They're on your PlayStation. They're on your tablets. They're on your phones, etc., etc., etc. You're good to go, and the content is there. And you're paying for it in addition to your cable. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, with cable, you're going to deal with all the bullshit and you got to find the channel and maybe your provider doesn't have it. Maybe your provider does. I think $9.99 for this isn't a bad idea. If you're a hardcore MMA fan and you want to really get entrenched in the sport for $10 a month, like I'm talking about, like I'm talking MMA round the clock, like I'd probably get it. I'm going to do the free period because, like I said, it's for it's free for two months. And, um, yeah, of course, they're going to ask you for your credit card. But, you know, that's another 10 to $15 a month for the WWE Network. It's true, Mortis, and I'll discuss that later on. Um, the thing that gets me, though, is that everybody's like, oh, you're going to pay $10 a month, blah, blah, blah. But think about it. You're paying $10 a month versus you paying $10 a month if they add it to your cable. That's the thing that people don't get. Like, people are like, man, I got to pay $10 a month for, for this. 
if they did a dedicated UFC channel, even if they even if your cable provider doesn't charge you for the specific channel like they do for HBO, your bill is going to go up because they're going to need to make up that money. So what they'll do is maybe they'll raise the rates a little bit, you know, a, a buck or two, and that'll be it. But what people don't realize is you're going to end up paying either way. Like I'd probably pay the 999 because I could watch it on my phone, I could watch it on my on my console. You know, I could go to the gym and watch a couple of fights while, while I'm doing cardio or whatever. The fact is that it's there, it's $9.99, and it's and it's easy access. It's the same thing. If it's on your if it if it's on your network as a premium channel, you'll probably pay $9.99. So all of you guys that are pissing and moaning about it being $10, you pay all this shit now. Like I, I never understood the people that pay for Hulu Plus. I mean, yeah, if you want to watch WWE NXT, fine. But Hulu Plus, you're paying and you get commercials still. So it's like, it's the equivalent of paying for a channel on cable with commercials. Same deal. I don't understand why people, they get so bent out of shape about it. When I saw the announcement, I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, you basically get a UFC channel. I wouldn't mind that, especially with the Xbox One becoming the centerpiece of home theater, you're going to pay a lousy $10 and you'll be able to watch all the MMA you want. So, ah, there you go. Mortis says, WWE NXT is actually free. I don't have Plus and I watch it on Hulu for free. You know, it's funny. The reason I mentioned that is because one of the guys has Hulu Plus and he watches NXT. I'm like, oh, I didn't know NXT was on. He's like, yeah, I watch it all the time. I didn't know that you could actually watch it on the free Hulu Plus. So, Thanks for that, Mortis, because I actually download the NXT episodes online and then I just watch them later on or I watch the highlights on YouTube. So I didn't know that. So definitely uh, something new. Thank you for that. But um, the thing that gets me is everybody bitching about it being $10. You're not you paying the shit one way or the other. Same thing is going to apply with the WWE Network. I'm telling you. Anyway, last bit of MMA news to wrap things up. For this week, the UFC on Fox event, which is UFC on Fox 10, goes down January 25th in Chicago. Now, a couple of things. This fight, this card has some amazing fights. The prelims, of course, are on Fox Sports 1. And um, Alex Caceres, Sergio Pettis will be on the prelims. Uh, Pascal Krause is on that card. Yves Jabouin. Um, other prelims, Darren Cruikshank, he's going to be fighting on that card. But the main card... The main card is 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 a problem, and I'll tell you why. Benson Henderson, Josh Thompson is your main event. Gabriel Gonzaga, Stipe Miocic is on that card. Donald Cerrone, Adriano Martins, and Darren Elkins and Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens round out the main card again. That's free on Fox, 8 p.m. Eastern, January 25th. So make a note of that. That goes down in Chicago. Mortis is saying 10 to $15 for a few different programs add up. I can't afford too many of them. You know what's funny? I know a couple of guys that have cut the cord and they only have, you know, Hulu Plus and Netflix. That's it. Hulu Plus and Netflix. That's all they got. And then they have an HD antenna for all their channels. Now think about it. You pay $8 for streaming Netflix, $10 for streaming Hulu Plus, so right there you got 20 bucks. Then say you get the WWE network, now you're at $30. $30 
um, thirty you you know thirty bucks versus you know a hundred dollars for cable and equipment, not a bad deal. Even if even if you did, let's 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 use a great example. You have uh, your Netflix, you have uh, Hulu Plus, and you decided to get an HD antenna, and maybe you buy a TiVo. You buy a TiVo box. You're going to get the DVR and all that shit. It's all yours, and it'll probably be cheaper than cable. The thing I've always said about cable and um, <clears throat> is I wish that you could have cable a la carte, much like they're doing now. You see, the UFC app, the WWE app, all that stuff is allowing you to enjoy your content a la carte. If cable companies started doing that a la carte, it would probably make people a lot happier. And the reason I say that is, it's like, like me, I have, I have Verizon files, love Verizon files. Awesome. And I have the full package, all the channels and, um, all I watch, I kid you not. I watch broadcast television, AMC, uh, FX, Spike TV, the food network, the cooking channel and all the movie channels. That's it. If I could eliminate all the bullshit sports channels that I don't watch and all the other rubbish, I'd get I'd get rid of it. I'd get rid of it. I'd only keep, you know, channels two through eleven, um, the uh, the 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 Spanish language channels, and I'd keep all the movie channels and the channels that I discussed. And if I and if I had to pay seventy five dollars a month, I'd do it because. All that extra shit, even if I paid $75 a month and then paid the extra the extra $10 a month um, for the other channels, I'd be happy. Oh, I see that AZ, AZ in Mexico. I know who that is. But um, seriously, like, like I would go the a la carte option and do that and, and get the WWE Network and um, I'd get the, the UFC on demand. 20, you know, 20 bucks, whatever, we'd be all good. It's, um, it's crazy. It's crazy that people are complaining about it, but we'll see how it pans out. Anyway, let's get into this week's wrestling segment. Um, of course, for those of you that don't know, I am wearing a big Papa Pump Scott Steiner t-shirt, Freakzilla. Um, definitely got a couple of old throwback shirts, so I figured you guys would appreciate, um, an old, um, Freakzilla shirt that I had that I dug in the crates. Uh, I believe for the last show of the year, I rocked the, uh, the Chris Benoit. So, um, I know a lot of you guys will appreciate that. Anyway, let's talk some wrestling. Shall we? We want the gold sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. I'm here to show the world. I'm here to show the world. All right, so let's talk about Monday Night Raw because, yeah, Monday Night Raw had a lot of very, very, very awesome moments. First off, the continued dissension that was teased with the Shield was masterful. First off, CM Punk's promo work, top notch, as always. It was just, it was, it was, it was really good. I especially liked 
his exchange with Dean Ambrose because Ambrose is like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight you, punk. And he's like, dude, I've beat you like 80 times. Get the fuck out of here. I really, really appreciated that because I like the fact that they've acknowledged that CM Punk be whooping the Shield's ass. So I really appreciated that they added that little bit of, of storytelling in there. I really felt that, that it brought it full circle and it was just effective. I really felt that it it made it not only it made the, the, the gimmick work, but it made the dissension in the shield work. I liked what they were saying. Like CM Punk is like, yeah, Roman Reigns, you know, you think you're hot shit. Everybody thinks you're going to be the man, blah, blah, blah. Let's do it. And I, I really liked the way that was going. It was so well done. And of course, Punk and Rollins had an awesome match. Unless you're CM Punk and you're go, you're on Twitter saying that the match sucked. But I felt that the match was phenomenal. I really thought that not only did they mesh well together, but that there was just tremendous, tremendous storytelling. The promo work was fantastic. And if you don't if you don't believe me, check out the promo for yourselves. Finish your thought, punk. Finish your thought. What were you gonna say? What's your big challenge? It better be a good one. You better give us a good reason not to end 2013 by ending you right now. Cool down. Look, the three of you can beat any one man. I think we've established that in the past 365 days. And I'm not taking away anything from any of you as a unit. But when I said iron sharpens iron, I live to be the best. And I want to fight the best one-on-one. So I want to know who it's going to be because out of one of you, out of the three of you, excuse me, one of you, is the best. Oh, you want to do this again? You want to do it again? Let's do it right now. And this time, I promise, I'm not leaving this ring without taking a piece of you with me. Let's do this right now. Hang on. <laughs> Dean, I wasn't, I wasn't talking to you. I was, I was talking to Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. I've already beaten you like half a dozen times. And what I'm saying is it wasn't easy, but I did it. You think that's funny? No, I don't think it's funny. You think it's it's a joke? You think I'm a joke? You think you can talk to me like that? I don't think you're a joke, Dean Ambrose. I just think you're the weak link. And I want to find out who the strong one of the shield is. Everybody says Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns, look at me when I'm talking to you. Is it you? Are you number one in the shield? Are you the man? Let's find out right here, right now. You want to know who the best is? Yeah. You're looking at him. I'll fight you tonight. I'll fight you tonight. Let's do it. It's you? Because all I ever hear anybody talk about is Roman Reigns. I... You don't think I can take him? It ain't that. You're falling for his games. That's not it. I didn't mean it like that. It ain't no way. This works. I'm just saying. I can take him tonight. I'm the man. 
Y'all take your time. Let me take it tonight, all right? I want this. No bones on you, my friend. Don't come out talking I can beat him. He calls himself the best in the world. I'm better than him. And I want to prove it tonight. You gonna step up and take him out? Absolutely. First of all, couple of things. I like the live mics while they were having that exchange because I like Roman Reigns saying to him, hey man, don't th- don't be coming out here saying you're the best. Don't, don't come out here saying that shit. I liked it because that's what you want. You want to give Roman Reigns a little personality. You want to kind of bring that shit together because honestly, when you, when you see it, you're like, oh man, you know, um, Roman Reigns is, is, is this, this, this one dimensional guy. So I like that they kept the li- the mics live. They allowed them to interact, and it wasn't it wasn't overly complicated. It was Roman Reigns like, "Yo, man, I'll fuck you up." You over here talking about that you're the best. I'm the man. So you know, I like the way they did that because Roman Reigns is starting to come out of his shell. The crowd was starting to chant for it. So it was it was very very well executed. I know a lot of you guys were like, you know, CM Punk wrestling the Shield every week is getting old. But here's the thing. When you have a good thing, you got to showcase it. When you have a good thing, you got to go out there and let the crowd see it and feel it and enjoy it. And that's what it was. It was exactly that. You know that everybody wanted to see Roman Reigns in there. Everybody wanted to see him in there. But it's true. Individually, each one complements the other's weaknesses. Here's, here's how it works. Dean Ambrose... His mic work complements Seth Rollins' lack of mic work, but his his you know his physicality is compounded by Roman Reigns. So you got the voice, the athlete, and the muscle. Each one complements the other. When you separate the three members, you see their weaknesses. And it's true, Seth Rollins does sound like Snarf. Josh gets a, a thousand percent credit for that because he brought that to my attention. I'm like, wow, he does. It's like, it's like, you know, CM Punk, snarf, snarf. I'm like, oh my God, I can't look at him and not hear snarf now. And it's all Josh's fault. It's true. I just look at it. It's just like, oh my God, it's fucking guy. But, um, think about it. You look at, you look at these guys and you know that it's very easy to give people, what they want. You wanted Roman Reigns in there. But no, you're not going to get Roman Reigns this week. You're going to get Seth Rollins and you're going to get physicality. You're going to get athleticism and then they'll continue to tease it and tease it until Roman Reigns gets in there with CM Punk. That's how it's going to be. But it's true Seth Rollins, yeah, I can take him. I can take him, Snarf. Yeah, I can take him. I'm the best. I'm the best because he's the best in the world. It's like, oh, my God, I can't. I fucking can't with you guys. But it, w- it was a good match. Even though CM Punk is on Twitter talking about that the match was garbage. and It was good. It was a good match. It really was. But then we get Curtis Axel and Dolph Ziggler. A couple of things bothered me about that. Dolph Ziggler comes out. His hair all of a sudden is fucking pink. Why is his hair pink? I don't know. No explanation. It's like, oh, here's this pink highlight. I'm like, wasn't Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October? Shouldn't you have been rocking the pink then? What's with the pink hair? No explanation. Dolph Ziggler, he just had this big pink fucking, you know, cotton candy colored hair. Like, what the fuck? 
yeah, I, I can understand that more. It's like, yeah, Ziggler likes pink. But it's just like, it was just weird, you know? Like, yeah, he always wears the pink. And I, again, no problem with that. But yeah, it, it was wearing the pink in his hair like Natalia. Thank you, Jay. So, whatever. So him and Curtis Axel had this match. And um, I'll tell you what. The match just felt directionless. Like, these guys, it, it, it felt like, you know how you pick random and, like, when you pick a random opponent in a fighting game, this was, like, a random match. Like, that, like Vince McMahon had a list of superstars, and he threw the darts at the names, and it's like, Curtis Axel, Dolph Ziggler, go out there and entertain for five minutes. Like, that's really what it was. Like, there was no buildup, nothing. It was just Curtis Axel, Dolph Ziggler. Why? Cause we got four fucking minutes to kill. Like I, it just felt it was no direction, no build, no nothing, zero. Just, just Dolph Ziggler talking about his New Year's resolution. That was it, and a mini promo from from Curtis Axel. Nothing, nothing, nothing else happened. Like I'm looking at it, and you know, in the old days, you'd have like the interview, and that would set up the match. And that was it, and you'd get a match. This, it was like, what's your resolution? Oh, my resolution is to suck less. What's your resolution? Oh, my resolution is to not be a boring fucking sack of flour in the ring. Okay, let's have a match. Like, seriously, like, there was, like, the resolution thing, okay, you know, New Year's, whatever. But there was nothing to build this. Nothing. It could have just, exactly, creative coin flip. Yes, missed. That's exactly it. Like, you could have done Curtis Axel, like, ah, Dolph is fucking garbage, he was the champion, now he's a fucking curtain jerker, oh, fuck you, I'm a curtain jerker, you fucking suck, you haven't done anything. And that could have been your match right there. That's it. Simple as that. But no, you do, you do the fucking dartboard, and you just, oh yeah, this guy and this guy. Five minutes. It was, it was god awful. And then... You got Biggie Langston and Fandango in an inter in, in an icy title match. Now here's my question. I like Biggie. You know that John Cena's his boy. That's why you see Biggie Langston on fucking television. But here's my thing. Hasn't Fandango been doing the job for like fucking three months? All of a sudden, oh, he's getting an icy title shot. Really? Really? He's getting a title shot? Why? From where? And I understand again, you gotta fill you gotta fill time. It's New Year's. You don't a lot of the guys were they actually had the roster split because they were doing a house show in Canada that they were talking about. So a lot of people weren't seen on television this week. I understand that. But you could have just had Biggie Langston have a match with I don't know, Dolph Ziggler. I would have rather Biggie Langston have a match with Dolph Ziggler saying, Hey, I wanna I wanna compete. Who's going to step up to the challenge? Dolph Ziggler walks in. He's like, E, Dolph, yo, let's do it. All right, let's see who's the better guy. And that's it. You do you do that. Think about it. Those guys have pre-existing history. It's already there. They go out there, hey, I want to be competitive. There you go. Boom, you're done. Instead, what ends up happening is you get two matches thrown together, but, you know, pinned the tail on the donkey. Vince McMahon with a blindfold. Damn it. Damn it. Whose name am I on? Whose name? Paul. Paul, what name? 
What name is that? Curtis Axel, Vince. All right, Curtis Axel. Okay, who's next? Who is it? Dolph Ziggler. That, like, that's what he does, Vince, with a fucking blindfold, pinning names on a fucking board. It's terrible. It is terrible. Like, exactly what, what they were saying. Who books the, sh- the matches on Mondays? Who books a house show on Monday? Thank you, Mortis. It's true. Anyway, I don't know why Booker T came out with the cast of Total Divas. No fucks were given. The only high point was fucking Bad News Barrett. And I don't even know why that's a high point because it was this promo is three minutes and 28 seconds of Bad News Barrett bullshitting along for 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 this. I'm not even going to play the whole promo, but I want you to see what it was. It was three minutes of my life that I will never get back. Three minutes, three. We should give the WWE Universe a memory that will last forever. Something that I would just call that's going to spin us into 2014. You know what I'm talking about, though. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a New Year's Spinner Rudy. The kid you dig that. Not just any old Spinner Rudy. A new. Wait a minute. First of all, Wade Barrett was on a, a on a giant platform on a scaffolding, and I prayed to God he would fall off. But I digress. This guy in the bad news bucket. I think you love this guy. Ah, he's great. Bad news. Bad news, Barrett. This will be good. Can we have some decorum, please? Booker, we're not going to end the year with a spin-a-rooney. Because New Year's, they're supposed to be about realising dreams and new opportunities. Well, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Because 2014 isn't suddenly going to bring us the end of government corruption and the end of natural disasters. No, no, no. In fact, the only thing it's going to bring us is one step closer to the apocalypse. (laughs) I mean, let's face some facts here. All of you, you're going to continue to stab each other in the back in the pursuit of money just so you can say you've got a bigger flat screen tv than all that that was his mumbling incoherent bullshit promo i didn't i I, like i said i stopped that promo at two minutes and 22 seconds there was still a minute and six seconds more of that that's what there was 
By the way, what's up with Alex Riley's hair? That dude's hair was straight. Hey, your little hey little girl, your mommy's sick. Like that's like like his hair was straight pedo, straight, you know, giant mural on a van with, you know, roofies inside some thin mints. It, it was like, what the fuck? It was it I didn't understand. Like the bad news Barrett gimmick they wanted to get over so badly. And it's just like, no, it's not happening. It's not happening. Doesn't work. Anyway, so Damian Sandow's there with the very underrated Renee Young talking about how he's been in all these bullshit matches, a.k.a. mid-card hell, and that he would like a match and that his next opponent, if he loses, he will leave. So... Of course, you know that as soon as the guy says, hey, I'm going to leave the business, they're going to wrestle somebody who's a complete bag of fucking shit. So, of course, they send Mumra out. They send out the great Kali. He he fucking comes out, you know, takes him 20 minutes to get to the ring. And then, you know, Damian Sandow, of course, of course he wins. Of course, because why not? That match... That that sums up Sandow and the Great Kali. It was complete shit. Great Kali comes out, and he and Damian Sandow. They should they should call that guy freaking Jesus because he resurrected that match. There was no way in hell that that match would have been good in any shape, way, or form. But it was tolerable. This is how much tolerance I had for that match. Because Damian Sandow, he tried. He tried to do it. He tried. But fucking Mumra. I got the chop. Great Kali. Great Kali. Like, those are his promos. His promos are Great Kali, Natalia. Hornswoggle. It's like fucking. He's like Indian Wreck It Ralph. The Great Kali is like Wreck-It Ralph, just far less personable. Seriously, it's like Natalia's Penelope, you know, she's Von Schweetz, and he's Wreck-It Ralph. It was awful. It was awful. The only good thing out of the Great Kali was the Punjabi prison match because it was shit. The Punjabi prison match was so contrived and so insane that it worked. That's the only good thing that came out of the great Kali being in the WWE. Slick, if you could do me the honors, please, please find the Punjabi prison match and share it with our beautiful audience in the chat room because it is, it is shit. <laughs> Jay says, WWE 2K14, Kali's moveset is set to what the fuck? It was, uh, listen... I understand, you know, you try to do good things for charity. I'm sure that the Make-A-Wish Foundation is happy that the great Kali gets to have his wish granted every Monday night by being on television. But please, please, we can only grant so many fucking wishes. We can only grant so many. Get him off my television, please. He's going to die in there. Chop. Like, come on, dude. Seriously, he is a seven-foot-tall corpse. 
It's a seven foot tall corpse that fucking comes out. And you know what I hate? When he tries to dance, because when he tries to dance, he puts his giant ter- pterodactyl arms out. He's like, like that, that, that's his dancing. That's it. That is his dancing, his giant pteranodon fucking wings. Come on. Stop it. Hire Matt Morgan if you want a big guy to beat people up. Holy shit. Hire Matt Morgan. He needs a job. (laughs) Josh, he is a huge bag of shit. Seriously. You know, it's like... It's it. I feel bad. I feel bad bagging on the great Kali because you know. But but seriously, it's like I understand. You know, Make a Wish needed to grant him a wish, but you've been granting the wish for like ten fucking years. You've been granting the wish for ten years that I have to look at this giant motherfucker on my screen every Monday. He comes out. Oh, come on. Seriously, giant fucking Make a Wish guy. That's what he is. And then we get R-Truth and Brodus Clay because, you know, Brodus Clay is a main event player, yo. Really? When you're braiding your fucking jizz-covered mohawk? You're, you're a main event player? That you, gotta, that you gotta use skeet gel to get ready for a match? Ser- Come on. What happened to Brodus Clay when he was like the badass enforcer for Alberto Del Rio? Oh, yeah, that's right. He became... Dancing fucking eggplant. He comes out there. It's like King Hippo. Why don't you just make? Why don't you just put the band aid on his fucking belly? And he comes out with the boxing gloves. And he thinks he's King Hippo. Make him give King Hippo the gimmick. And the only way you can beat Brodus Clay is if you punch him in the stomach. And then when he's shocked that you punched him in the stomach, you hit him with your finisher. Cause holy shit, is he fucking terrible? What happened? What happened to the guy that everybody was like, yo, Brodus Clay is going to be a problem. He's, he's shit. He is shit. It, it's, it's, it's insane to me that Brodus Clay went from being a guy that everybody thought was going to be oh so good to being complete shit. Seriously, complete shit. And, and the worst part is that the guy, you know, it's like, he goes out there and he says, and I quote, oh, I pasted a link in the chat room. Clearly that shit didn't work, so ignore it. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, the guy the guy comes out there, don't mind that. That was supposed to be a link, but clearly it didn't work from fucking Google. Anyway, so, you know, Brodus Clay, he did a great job on Captain N Game Master. And then all of a sudden they put him with, with Sweet Tea. And then now he's the main event player. First of all, let's talk about the, the let's talk about the tiny braids on your on your on your on your spooge mohawk. He has that there's something about Mary Mohawk going on, and now all of a sudden somebody thought it'd be a great idea to braid it. The shit looks like the zipper on a Kim Kardashian dress. It's like, yo, what are you doing? What are you doing? Who told you that was a good idea? It looks like a fucking zipper on your head. You know what that zipper is for? After the match is over, he unzips and there's a skinny guy in there. Brodus Clay is a fucking costume. And that's it. 
Seriously. He has the, 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 the little fucking shit on his head. And he unzips it like men in black. And he's a fucking... He, he's, he's Ernest the Cat Miller. That's it. The whole reason why they're using Ernest the Cat Miller's music is because he's inside Brodus Clay. Brodus Clay absorbed him like Majin Buu in Dragon Ball Z. It's it, I don't understand. Like, everybody spoke so highly of Brodus. They were like, yeah, man, Brodus Clay, he's a big dude. He's he's mobile. He's agile. He's, he's, he's good in the ring. And then he comes out shucking and jiving, shucking and jiving with his little hat. And he's like, yeah, and he's two-stepping, looking like a complete asshole. And then now he's got the zipper fucking shit on his head. And he's the main event. Ugh, get out of here. It's it's sad. It is fucking sad. And I don't understand, you know, where they went wrong. I'm not telling you to make him fucking Kamala. But holy shit, that, that's it. I'm a main event player, yo. It's It's stupid. And then... To, to boot, he's feuding with R-Truth. These are your promos. R-Truth, yeah, man, what's up? Brodus Clay, yo, I'm the main event player. And and you flip the channel. If, if they do the quarter hour ratings for these segments, that match probably rated about as much as freaking Kim Kardashian's mom's talk show probably had a better rating than R-Truth and Brodus Clay. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You got fucking Zipperhead, Brodus Clay, and R Truth. I can't. I can't do it. Anyway, so Triple H comes out and he makes this big ass announcement. Oh, you know, I'm going to bring back Brock Lesnar. Okay, that's all well and good. You know, he broke he broke Triple H's arm. Blah 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 blah. All right, fine. But here's the thing that gets me. He breaks Triple H's arm. He comes back and, um, you know, they, he comes back, he cuts a, a decent, he cuts a decent promo. I'll tell you what made Brock Lesnar coming back epic. And it's an overused word, but I'll tell you what made the segment amazing. First of all, Paul Heyman is, is masterful. He makes it work. Then I like that Mark Henry came out because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the number one contender, whether you like it or not. Who's going to do anything about it? And I like that Mark Henry came out because seriously, if you're a big fucking gorilla, a shaved ape like Brock Lesnar is, then you know that a big dude's got to come out there and whoop his ass. I like the way they did it. I also like that he attacked Mark Henry before getting in the ring. Because what it showed was that, yeah, one-on-one, Mark Henry might fuck you up. But, you know, if I sneak attack him, I'll get I'll get a couple of shots in. I really like the way they did that. And I really liked that, you know, he, he speared him through the barricade, gave him the F5, which was pretty impressive. The only thing that killed that segment was him screaming like a fucking lunatic. He's like, I'm like, why are you screaming like that? Why? And I want to see if they have him screaming because I understand Brock Lesnar's trying to be scary, but that scream was the equivalent of having your nuts in a fucking clamp. It just didn't, it just didn't work. I'm like, yo, dude's nuts are in a clamp. Somebody give this guy a fucking hug. It was bad. And he was screaming like it was it was terrible. I'm trying to see if they have the scream here. Hold on, let's see. Now, in this age of transparency, 
My client has authorized me to inform you of his mission statement here in WWE. My client, Brock Lesnar, is not here to settle old scores. Brock has no old scores. You fight Brock Lesnar. You lose to Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar forgets about you. Nor is Brock Lesnar here as an instrument of revenge to do harm to those that did wrong to me, Paul Heyman. I have a forgiving heart. I've put those beatings in my past because I'm a bigger man than any one of you. And besides, this isn't about me. This is about my client, Brock Lesnar. So here it is. Why is Brock Lesnar back in WWE? Here's what's best for business. All right, Slick was kind enough to give me a uh, a clip of, of the Brock Lesnar scream. Before I play it, Brock Lesnar's new t-shirt is fucking fantastic. Up until you look on the back and it says like sponsored by Jack Link Sausages. I understand that you want to make it seem like an MMA fighter shirt. But seriously, do I need to walk around, you know, sponsored by Kibbles and Bits on the back of my fucking shirt? No. Uh, The design on the front, fantastic. Sponsored by fucking Gorton's Fish Sticks and Vagisil, not the move. Please, please don't do it. Anyway, so thank you, Slick, for this clip. Check this out. And now Mark Henry in pursuit. And it's just oh, killer. It's Henry right through the barricade. What was that? What was that? Why are you screaming like that? Why are you screaming like Jamie Lee Curtis running from Michael Myers in Halloween? Why? Why are you doing it? What does Brock Lesnar say? Caw, caw, caw. That's what he says. That's what he fucking says. Come on. Stop it. And again, such an awesome shirt. You're a giant shaved gorilla. Giant. Like, you're a huge fucking dude. And you scream like somebody's squeezing your ball bag with a, with a clamp. You should have been in the locker room screaming at the mirror to get to get it there. Like, you know, Roman Reigns, he comes out, he's like, Ooh, you know, and he's 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 hardcore with it. Brock Lesnar, it's like, it's like, yo, what are you doing? Why are you screaming like a child? Why? Shirt is awesome, though. I will give you that. Mark Henry took a certified ass whooping. But you know what? You needed that. And I like the way Paul Heyman closed it out because he's like, yo, man, you're good. You're good. He gets it. He understands. Like, I got to find the, I want to fast forward to him hitting him with the F5. Paul Heyman talking Brock Lesnar down was like Sam Jackson and um, what the hell's his name? Oh, man. Uh, who's the guy that played Lex Luthor in Superman Returns? Uh, the Kaiser Sose. What the hell's his name? No, shit. 
from the negotiator. It was it was that like he's talking him down and he's like, "All right, Brock, Ke- Kevin Spacey, thank you guys." You know, it's like Sam Jackson and Kevin Spacey. He's talking him down. He's like, "All right, Brock, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. Don't whoop his ass anymore. He's dead." It was so good. And then it was like you had to make an example out of somebody. Paul Heyman put it over the top. Check this out. It's the little touches, the little things that make this work. Okay, okay, you got the message. He understands. He understands. He understands. Well, someone had me made an example of. And it's Mark Henry. Oh, Heyman actually calling off the beast, thank God. Sickening destruction. See, I like that. Like, Paul Heyman's like, yo, fall back, dude, fall back. Calm down. He got it. He got it. He got it. It's okay. He got it. I, I like the way that worked because it shows that, that Brock Lesnar's a fucking psychopath and that Paul Heyman's the only human being that could reach him. Like, I like that because, again, it's not something you would think is 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 important or, or a, a huge part of the gimmick, but it really focuses on the fact that Brock Lesnar's a fucking lunatic and that Paul Heyman kind of kind of you know soothes the savage beast i'm sure they walk in the back paul Heyman throws him a dog treat everything is right in the world but the way that they did it is just i like that the calling him off like yo he gets it he gets it chill you know it's all right jay says i really like brock's haircut i wonder if he went to supercuts dude you know brock lesnar has a flow b and sable fucking uses that sable used a flow b to 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 cut Brock Lesnar's hair? Come on. You know this. But no, in, in all seriousness, the thing that gets me is Mark Henry had to be the guy. He had to be the sacrificial lamb. I know a lot of you guys is are saying, you know, Mark Henry catches the ass whoopings all the time. Mark Henry's the only guy that could have made that work. One, because he's a badass dude, Hall of Pain. And it would have worked. Like, people are like, you know, Biggie Langston would have made that work. No. You don't want to do that. Because, exactly, Val says that Mark Henry has that pension, though. It's true. See, like, if you would have sent out Biggie Langston, that would have damaged Biggie Langston. Don't send out the great Kali. Please, God, no. But you send out Mark Henry because you look at Mark Henry. He's a big dude. He's lean and mean now. He's lost some shape. You know? And, and and he he made it work. Like, that's what you have to do to bring the gimmick full circle. Anyway, so after that, WWE had to torture us with Oksana, Caitlyn, Summer Rae, Rosa Mendez, and Alicia Fox taking on the Total Divas, the Bellas, the Funkadactyls, and Eva Marie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that match was god awful. It was terrible. It was terrible. Not only did Oksana win, but it was just bad. Holy shit, was it bad. It was just, oh, it was, 
It was a colostomy. Let, let me tell you something. I kid you not. The fact that I totally forgot that Exana even had a job, number one. And number two, I didn't even know who the blonde chick was. I'm like, who's this blonde chick? I'm like, oh, shit, it's Rosa Mendez. That's how, that's how non-important the Divas division is. It's like, it's like trying to lick your elbow. It seems cool in theory, but in execution, it just doesn't work. That's what this is. In theory, you want all these hot chicks, you know, running around in the ring. You're hoping for a wardrobe malfunction. Maybe a booby or two pops out. But in the grand scheme of things, it is shit. It is complete shit. And I'm just embarrassed. I'm like, yo, you guys, you guys train for this shit? You train for this. That's You train for this. Like, that's what gets me. Like, Caitlyn. Remember when Caitlyn was, everybody was talking about Caitlyn and Caitlyn this and Caitlyn that. And then all of a sudden, Caitlyn is fucking curtain jerking with with Oksana. Which, by the way, uh, this is Caitlyn's real name. Google it. You're welcome. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, but um, yeah, Caitlyn was, you know, running on a, on a, you know, on a huge wave of momentum. And then it was just like just blew up alicia fox everybody's like yeah alicia fox is awesome blah 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 and then it's like alicia fox (laughs) done then it's like you had beth phoenix you let her go she was out uh layla's injured she's out who do you got who do you have left Natalia to carry the whole division. You have Natalia to carry the whole division. It just doesn't work. Think about it. In the old days, you had Trish, Lita, Molly Holly, Jazz, Ivory, China. Uh, you know, the list goes on. The list goes on. And what ends up happening is. Now, you look at this roster, There's you don't have a dominant heel and a dominant face to balance things out. You just have the total divas and the total assholes. That's it. Total divas, total fucking flesh socks. Like, seriously. You know? It's, it's, it's a problem. It's a, it's a, it's a, I just read what Jay wrote about something I put in the chat room. Holy shit. (laughs) Shit. I can't, I fucking can't. Thank you, Jay. Holy shit. But seriously, like you have the total divas and the total assholes. That's it. That's all it is. And it's sad because like I said, that you train, you train and, and your match, like, like Eva Marie, Eva Marie's matches. I'd rather watch the battle between white blood cells and HIV on a big screen than Eva Marie in a match. I'd rather, I'd seriously, I'd rather watch the little red blood cells and the white blood cells fighting the AIDS virus on a giant screen. I'd rather watch folding at home on my PlayStation four or my PlayStation three than watch 
this. It's it's crazy. Mist is right. The Total Divas is real housewives of the WWE. Pretty much. Pretty much. As soon as 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 uh as Skinny Bella marries um Daniel Bryan, it's gonna be straight real housewives. Daniel Bryan is gonna come in like Will Farrell did in Step Brothers as the lumberjack. I have come to plant my seed. Like that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna come in as the lumberjack like Will Farrell did in Step Brothers. And you know Brie Bell is gonna be in the room playing the role of the of the therapist. That's that's the role playing that they're gonna show. But seriously, it's like it's like no who cares. Speaking of Daniel Bryan, he was gonna run the gauntlet to face all the members of the Wyatt family, and of course at the end he was gonna face off Bray Wyatt, and it ends with Daniel Bryan allegedly, you know joining the Wyatt family. Didn't I talk about this weeks ago where I said, Hey man, it'd be crazy. Daniel Bryan joins the Wyatts and you know, the Wyatts kind of become faces, so to speak and feud with everybody else. There you go. I said that shit months ago. I'm like, yo, Daniel Bryan's going to join the Wyatts. It's happening. All these bearded motherfuckers are going to start beating the shit out of all the tan pretty boys. And that's going to be it. It's going to be Duck Dynasty whooping ass. That's it. Bunch of bearded fuckers beating the shit out of pretty dudes. And that's it. That's what's going to happen. That is what's going to happen. Unless they're going to do a swerve. But it's it's coming. It's really, it's it's happening. I like I like that idea. Mortis says Kane and Daniel Bryan are working with the Wyatts to take out the machine, aka the authority from the inside out. You know what that would involve? Creativity. You know what the creative department doesn't have? Creativity. Just saying. But it would be a cool idea though. Overall, you know, the 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 last raw of twenty thirteen was okay. You know, it looks it looks pretty badass, of course. They teased the return of Batista, which, you know, Batista He's going to, you know, he comes back on January 20th, of course, Martin Luther King Day, you know, free at last, free at last, coming out with my belly button tattoos, free at last. Like, it's like, all right, Batista's coming back. Thanks. Great. Fantastic. Like, don't get me wrong. Batista's coming back and it's all well and good, but we all know that Batista's coming back because he, the WWE wants the Marvel rub. You know, check out WWE Superstar Batista as Drax the Destroyer in Guardians of the Galaxy in theaters now. That's what's going to happen. WWE wants that Marvel endorsement. And what better way to get it than by having Batista come back? It's a win-win for both guys, you know, for, for the organization and for Batista. Batista comes out, you know, he sneezes, tears his peck. He's on the shelf. Then he then he promotes the movie. Then he comes back, tying his shoe. He tears his quad, promotes the movie a little more. Has two matches, goes about his business. That's it. Crazy. You laugh, but you guys know that that's it. He's going to come back, have a match or two. Oh, I have this movie coming out, Guardians of the Galaxy. And they're going to promote the fuck out of it. And Marvel's going to be like, gee, thanks for giving us your entire audience. To promote this to. And that's it. Everybody's saying it's going to be Batista's last run. And, um, you know, that's it. But, the, yeah, Batista's 44. That Here's the funny thing. He has, like, a teenage daughter. 
and we we always joke about this because think about this. Stone Cold Steve Austin has teenage daughters, Batista has a teenage daughter. You know, The Rock's daughter is pretty old. Imagine you show up, you're in high school. Hey, I got a date with, um, you know, the the Bautista girl, because that's Bautista's real name. And and the guy shows up, yeah, I'm going to go pick her up for my date. And you knock on the door, and Bautista comes out. And when he comes out, he does the machine guns and the pyro plays when you're picking up the girl for a date. Come on, how fucking ridiculous would that be? Just knock on the door, dude is living the gimmick. They play the music as the door opens up. He comes out. He does the fucking machine guns and the pyro goes off. And you're like, dude, I'm just here to pick up your daughter for a date. Oh, she'll be right down. Like, like imagine, or you knock on Stone Cold. Like, Stone Cold's daughters, they have British accents. Just saying. Knock on the door. Well, what the hell do you want, you son of a bitch? I'm, 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 here, to pick up, I'm here to pick up your daughter, sir. All right. You want a beer? No. What? You want a beer? What? No. You want a beer? No. Like, like just that kind of, like, the dude's just living their gimmick. Like, imagine that shit. You knock, pick up the Rock's daughter, opens the door. He's, like, fucking shirtless with, like, an Under Armour skull cap on, giving you the eyebrow. What do you want? It doesn't matter what you want. Just yelling at the fucking, at the kid. Ah, oh, come on be fantastic you could you could actually do original wwe programming like wwe superstars with kids it, it, it would be exactly that like i guarantee you when 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 any guy came to pick up hulk hogan's daughter before riding her like the village bicycle it's like you walk in and it's like sup brother you're gonna lay pipe to my daughter brother and i'm gonna watch brother oh brother seriously like that's that's it you know, that's that's pretty much it. It's it's guys knocking on, knocking on superstars doors that have teenage daughters. Oh, it'd be fantastic. You do Hogan, Batista, The Rock, Stone Cold, Shawn Michaels, Hillbilly Jim, fucking whoever. Just just, you know, different like days in the lives of like the superstars. Like Batista going to like parent teacher night. He comes in, they play the pyro, he does the machine gun shit. Uh Mr. Batista, we just want to talk about your daughter's grades. Hold on one second. He comes out, just pyro everywhere and shit, super living the gimmick. Ah, it'd be fantastic. It'd be it'd be ridiculous. Uh Mr. Johnson, your your daughter's been doing really good. And and you know, her her math grade is a little what? What do you mean? It's a little it doesn't matter what her grade is. Just you know, it's it's <laughs> Jay, you are you are on uh, I don't know, dude. I've heard I've heard some things, but seriously. Just the Jay just derails everything. He goes, um didn't Batista's daughter have a video online with her mouth on a meat pipe? And uh yeah. I don't know. I've heard I've seen it in forums, but I've never heard if it's true or not. I've seen it, you know, it's like fucking look it up on Snopes. I don't know. Snopes. Did Batista's daughter have a meat pipe on Snopes and see if it's true? <laughs> oh, miss said she saw it. Wow. Holy cow. Golf clap for missed. Holy shit. I, I can't. I can't even see it can't you it's like when you look at hogan's daughter it's like think about it 
you look at Hogan's daughter, and it's like, it you know, you look at Hogan's daughter, and you're like, wow, you know, that's a very beautiful-looking girl. But you realize if you squint, it's Hulk Hogan with a wig on. Like, <laughs> like think about it. You look at Brooke Hogan, and it's like, hey, how's it going? And when you look and you squint, you're like, oh, my God, you know, like... Like, how creepy is that? Like, that, like there's so... <laughs> Think about it. You look, you look at, you know, you look at the video and, you, you know, you look at, you look at Hogan's daughter and you're like, hey, how's it going? You're a little tipsy. You look and she's like, hi, my name's Brooke. And you're like, all right. And then you just wake up. She rolls over, no makeup, no foundation. And it's like Hulk Hogan with a wig on. Dude, you just run out screaming, you know? You just, you, the Homer Simpson scream all day. Just like, what is happening? Like, like, I'm serious though. Like, if they did a show of just superstars raising kids, it would be fantastic. I'm serious. Or not, it doesn't even have to be superstars raising kids exclusively. It could be, you know, superstar siblings. And stuff like that, oh, it'd be fantastic. Anyway, let's get into the other wrestling news for this week. So, uh, WWE.com put up a very interesting video uh, interview about Biggie Langston and Dean Ambrose. And they actually asked them about unifying the Intercontinental and United States Champions, uh, United States Championships. Now, the thing is, Biggie Langston said he's open to it, um, Etc. 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 But here's a question for you guys: Would you rather keep the IC and US titles separate, or would you prefer unifying those two belts? I'm just curious. Would you unify the US and IC titles, or would you rather leave them separate so the mid card has something to to strive for? I'm just curious. You know what, Mortis? It's not even up to me because this is a you know the chat room is a GFQ chat room. Um, if you can if you can shrink it, you know, like as a Bitly link or something, do it like that. You know, or yeah, there you go. Where where it is is fine. That'll work. But um, Jay says unify and bring in a new belt. All right. I mean, I think that leaving the belt separate, I. You know, a TV title, see, a TV title works, and I'll tell you why. A TV title works, you unify the IC and the US title, you bring back the TV title, and the TV title is defended on every program. Every week is a title defense. And that will allow you not only to change titles, but keep the, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's seriousness. Like, I would, I would like to see that a TV championship will give like you defend it on raw you defend it on main event and you defend it on smackdown because it gets people to to actually give a fuck about title changes because you can say to yourself yeah this title can actually change hands on television i think it would work if you bring back the tv title that's a great belt for who's on tv every week that does nothing i don't know kofi kingston or i don't know maybe the miz those are guys that you give the TV title, you put it out there, it works. You know, it works. That works. My only it, my only concern is that, you know, there's there's 
you know, it's it's questionable because, again, you bring in a new belt, you got to create a brand new bloodline for the belt, so to speak, and then you're just going to have the belt defended on one TV show. You create the TV title, it gets defended on each program, or at least out of two out of the three shows, there should be a title defense. Period. You could even defend it on NXT if you want. I think it would work. The unification at this point is a no-brainer because those belts that they they you know Fandango challenged for the belt on Monday. Really? It's 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 a problem. It's a problem, but a TV title definitely would work. So the big news last week that a lot of people were talking about was Jeff Jarrett leaving TNA. And um Jeff Jarrett leaving TNA was a big shocker. Obviously, because, you know, his father founded the fucking company, but it seems that he just couldn't have a he couldn't come to agreements with Dixie Carter about stuff. And this is opening a huge Pandora's box, obviously, because Jeff Jarrett leaves. Dixie Carter is going to get more control. And from what I'm hearing, uh, Big John Gabruik from, you know, they used to do Tough Enough. He, he has a bigger influence now. It's it's really crazy where they're going. Of course, Magnus is now your champion. Um a lot of people have been talking about Jeff Hardy coming back in the Royal Rumble. I don't know how true that is. Um, would be interesting. Would be kind of cool if Jeff Hardy came out. But the way I see it is TNA has a wealth of talent. Wealth of talent. But um, yeah, Jeff might be trolling. But you know what, Jay? Even if he wasn't trolling, people would fucking be all over that shit. Like all of a sudden, you know... They play your your um they're doing the matches and it's like the countdown is coming and people are fucking um they're going crazy for who it's gonna be and all of a sudden it's like they play the fucking cheesy fucking music they had. What the hell was it? I'm trying to find it because it was just it was like the it was like the intro for like a um for like a cheesy like like Skinamax porno, the Hardy Boys music, check it out. I think it was this one. the music that they would play like a hardcore porno and it'd be like different shots that are, are flashing in and out when this is playing that's it right yes it's like five four three two one oh uh, come on people would lose their minds all those little tweens oh my god you know <laughs> Jay says, and I quote, that's the song Batista's daughter is rocking the mic on. Oh man, holy shit. <laughs> oh man, I think Batista's daughter deserves the uh the old hashtag that we were using, which is this one. <laughs> but seriously, you know, Jeff Matt Hardy come out. It would be it would be fantastic. It would be fantastic. Seriously, even if he's trolling, it was. Uh, <laughs> oh man, the, the the chat room is on fire tonight. But um, yeah, Hardy's coming back. I I don't have a problem with it. It wouldn't it wouldn't be a big deal. I mean, Matt Hardy pretty much looks like 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 hell. But I think it was just because he got married and he's you know been eating a couple Twinkies here and there. But the problem with Matt Hardy is that he is incredibly talented, but I don't know. I think he's kind of jaded. I don't know what the deal is, but it just doesn't 
I don't know, man. I think if he came back after all the shit that went on, it's like he has to come back as like Matt Hardy version one, and you got to do that shit because Matt Hardy version one, it was, um, it was, you know, it was fucking fantastic. The Matt Hardy music, you, you, you'd hear it and you'd be like, oh shit, you know, like it was fantastic. Like, let me see if this is it. The one with the with the web intro. I think it was this one. Like when Matt Hart, when that would hit, everybody would be like, yeah, you know, you do the little, the little web shit, but, um, it, it would, it's just, it's all good. <laughs> that's another one. But, but to Jay says, now that's a porno song. The, the, the Matt Hardy song it is, but dude, not, not as, not, not as porno tier as the, as the Hardy boys music. Cause that Hardy boys music is what you play in like a montage of squirt videos or something like they, they play in that music and it's just little montages of just, just terribleness. Anyway. <laughs> All right. The show is just spiraling into fucking terribleville. Anyway. So the rock had a, uh, he did his rock talk, and, um, you know, he does a little Twitter conversation. He was talking about that he was meeting with DC about a future project. Of course, everybody's talking about what it should be. Everybody says, oh, it should be Shazam with him as um, Black Adam. Uh, people are saying that The Rock should be Lobo. I don't know. I mean, if The Rock is going to be doing anything with DC, it's got to be something awesome. Like, let, let, let's be let, let's let's throw this out there. Cause they're, you know, they're talking about Bukaki Serenade in the chat room. So let me, let me, let's just, um, bring things back to normal. If the rock had to play any DC character, who would you want him to play? I don't know, Mortis. I've heard different things, but when all he said was, we just had a big meeting with Warner brothers at DC comics, 2014, we will partner up and create the cool badassery. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Who should he play? I'm curious. I think I'm going to pose that in the chat on the uh, Facebook fan page and see what people say. Um, I'm curious. Anyway, moving on because it's 140 and we're definitely going to go into a little overtime this week. It um, He would make a good dark side. He would do good mocap for dark side. I don't know if the voice would work, but he would do a, a good a good mocap for dark side. I think that would be awesome. Martian Manhunter's a good one. Thank you, Jay. I think that would work. But they hired, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy that played Khal Drogo in Game of Thrones. He's, um, he actually is going to be in Batman and Superman. I don't know who, he, who he's going to play, but people are saying that he should play Martian Manhunter. I don't know how accurate that's going to be. Yeah, Jason Momoa. Thank you. Um, definitely Black Adam, because he looks exactly like Black Adam. If you played Injustice... You know, you just throw some pointy ears on him and you got Black Adam instantly. But the problem is that if you're going to have Black Adam, then obviously you got to include Shazam. And the problem with Shazam is for as cool as the character has been made over the years, he's basically a boy that says a magic word and turns into, you know, the big the big red cheese. That's it. I mean, he's kind of cool, but it took a lot of years for me to think that Shazam was awesome. Because when in the old days, when I used to read... um. Shazam in I'd like to say the early 90s and even into the mid 90s Shazam's character was bullshit it wasn't until 
like Black Adam went crazy when they destroyed Kondok and he started fucking killing everybody. That's when it started getting good. But now, eh, not so much. But again, we'll we'll touch on that a little bit in the movie segment. But yeah, The Rock seems to be working on something. I will say this. The Rock is done. He's doing Hercules. He's got, you know, he's got another G.I. Joe coming. He's working on some Earthquake movie. He's doing an HBO series. I'm shocked that The Rock that Marvel didn't try to get the rock involved with something (laughs) fucking strider that they didn't try to get the rock involved in something on the Marvel side. Cause if you look on the Marvel side, the rock, the rock could pretty much play apocalypse in an X-Men movie, throw a little CGI in there. You deepen his voice a bit. There you go. Cause not for nothing. Think about it. If you look at the rock's face and you do the, and you draw the line of how apocalypse's jaw looks, you, it's pretty much like that. Just, just something I, I'd toss out there. Um, <laughs> no, Vin Diesel's actually going to be Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy. Val, oh yeah, well after the tree thing, you never know. After the tree, we'll see. We'll see what happens after after Groot. Um, so, couple of words, a couple of news stories have made their ways around the dirt sheets. Uh, the Wrestling Observer was reporting that The Undertaker has chosen his opponent for WrestleMania 30 and that he wants to work with Daniel Bryan. Now, a lot of people are saying that the, uh, that the match between Lesnar and The Undertaker, they can't do it uh, primarily because Lesnar's physical style doesn't work well with a, you know, with a limited Undertaker. Because think about it, The Undertaker's matches are very safe, very, you know, very by the book. So... The Brock Lesnar match, even when they said, oh, yeah, that match is going to be awesome, it just doesn't work because Lesnar's way too physical. Way too physical. He'll kill The Undertaker. It's true. It's not even a joke at this point. Meanwhile, a guy like Daniel Bryan, there's such great storytelling there. Obviously, Daniel Bryan wouldn't break the streak. It wouldn't happen. But it, it, imagine imagine if, if The Undertaker walked in and he said, you know, Vince... I want Daniel Bryan to break the streak. I think Vince McMahon would probably die, resurrect himself, die again, resurrect himself again, and then die finally. Because I think Vince would have a heart attack. What? If The Undertaker was like, yeah, you know, I want to I put Daniel Bryan over. I want Daniel Bryan to break the streak. It would be insanity. Insanity. But again, these are, these are rumors right now. Like I said, the Wrestling Observer is saying that The Undertaker wants to face Daniel Bryan, um, you know, and they're also reporting that the reason that they don't want to do the match is with Brock Lesnar is because the physica- the physicality of that match would definitely fuck up The Undertaker even more so. But I think, you know, Val makes a valid point. I don't think so. I think whoever breaks the streak would replace Undertaker in that role. I've always said that Kane should be given the streak. I'm not saying don't break the streak, like the Undertaker should retire, and Kane should say, in honor of my brother's accomplishments, I want to try and eclipse those accomplishments. I'm going to start a streak of my own. And at least Kane can have something to do. Being possessed by the Undertaker's spirit is a little... It's a little far-fetched, but then again, they, they killed Paul Bearer on television once and then brought him back. So, seriously, I'm not, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked if, that w- if they did that. 
you know, let's make Kane possessed by the Undertaker. And Kane comes out with like a hybrid Kane Undertaker costume. It'll be like the trench coat. And it's like has fire and shit inside of it. And he just does the flame shit with the lights and the and the thunder and all that shit. Why not? I'd 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 take it. What the hell? But seriously, I think I think in the Undertaker's case, if anybody deserves it after all the work they've done for the company, it should be Kane. I've said it before and I stick to it. That's all I'm saying. Miss thinks that they're saving their streak for the Golden Boy, which I'm assuming can be the one and only John Cena. Could be. Hornswoggle's going to break the this, this streak. You know what's funny? I saw a poster for Hornswoggle in Leprechaun. I got to post it on the fan page. It is It is ridiculous. <laughs> I like how Mortis uses a Highlander reference. Yep, take the, uh, the Undertaker's quickening at WrestleMania. That's right. It should be it should be Kane or Connor McLeod from the Clan McLeod. Anyway, so you know that everybody's been super excited because the American Wolves, Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards were working in NXT. Everybody's excited. They're like, yeah, you know, the American Wolves, they're going to come up to the WWE roster. It's going to be awesome. Turns out that according to some of the rumors going around, they're not going to get a contract because allegedly Triple H has an issue with how how big they are. They said that NXT has enough small guys who can work good matches. He is that Triple H is looking for talent that can headline WrestleMania in 5 to 10 years. So, let me get this straight. Everybody bitched about Vince McMahon getting all the jacked up, roided out guys who can barely wrestle. Now Triple H is worried about guys that are too small. Let me tell you guys something. I'd rather 20,000 matches with guys like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan than, than, than five Batista matches. I like Batista. He's good for the business in limited doses. So for you to sit there and say that these guys are small, these guys are workers. These guys can go out there and they can work 352 days and not get injured unlike a guy like Sheamus who tears his pec tying his shoe you know and it's true I mean Jay makes a good point I believe the Triple H rumors are bullshit I think the dirts like to paint Triple H as some kind of a tool bag here's the thing though while I can I can agree with that a lot of the rumors about Triple H being a douchebag though a lot of them are true in some capacity. He said when CM Punk was going to get called up to the main roster. You know, I don't think this guy has it. I don't think he's ready. And whatever. I think, you know, it's funny because when when Andrew Zarian did Matt Men uh, last week, they were saying that guys that Paul Heyman thinks are the future of the company are called up two or three months before they're ready. And that's why they, they fuck up. It was an interesting bit of logic. But in looking at what Triple H is, you know, this this alleged story with Triple H, the logic I would apply it to Triple H, because think about it. Triple H brought in Sin Cara. Sin Cara came up, didn't go through developmental. He was a dud. Um, awesome Kong came in, had her personal problems. She left. She was a Triple H project. You see what I'm saying? Like, 
Triple H hasn't exactly been setting the setting the bar on fire with his endorsements. You know, it's like it's like listen, you want to build up your tag team division, Edwards and Richards can get the job done. Those are the guys you build your division with. You build it with the American Wolves, you build it with the Usos, you build it with the Shield. You build it with black on black crime, aka uh, Biggie Langston and Mark Henry. You build it with the Rhodes brothers. That's what you do. You build it with those guys. That's who you build it with. You know, it it it's crazy. It's crazy, but that's what you got to do. Instead, you're too busy worried about oh the guy's not six foot two. Who cares? Who cares if he's not, you know, six foot two, 275 pounds? What does it matter? I think we're past that point. We're past the point of big guys. You know, think about it. Shawn Michaels wasn't a super big guy. Chris Jericho wasn't a super big guy. Eddie Guerrero wasn't a super big guy. Chris Benoit definitely wasn't a big dude. Yeah, they were, you know, 5'10", 5'11", but they weren't, you know, 6'2", you know? And that's what that's what gets me. Taz in ECW wasn't the biggest guy, you know? AJ Styles in TNA wasn't the biggest guy. Samoa Joe, yeah, he's a big guy, but he's a big guy. He's not, you know, a jacked up guy. He's just a big guy. And that's what I'm saying. What do you want to have? Mason Ryan is your champion for five years. Is that what you want? Maybe you want uh, Nathan Jones. Maybe you want Batista. Yeah, see, Big E is only 5'11", but Big E is Big E is uh, is not only a big guy, but he also is John Cena's boy. So, you know, John Cena puts in a good word like, yo, Big E, Big E's the truth. Help him out. Think about it. Big E went from bullshit matches to doing that that tag match with Punk and Cena against the Shield. Think about that. Think about where Big E was three months ago and where Big E is now. And tell me that you don't see you don't see, you know, Cena kind of working behind the scenes for that. You can see that now. It's obvious. You know, Big E Langston was NXT champion. It is what it is. I think that, again, it's all rumors, but if if you have guys like the American Wolves, you, you, you have the potential to build a division with these guys. That's all I'm saying. That's it. And I agree with Mortis. Mortis says Big E is a potential WWE champion. I really believe that. I do. I believe that. I think Big E has the tools to be the African-American messiah that Vince McMahon is looking for. You know, the well-spoken black guy who is, you know, uh, an idol to African-American youth. He, he, They want that. They need that. They need the one guy, you know? And it, no, it's not racist at all. Jay says WWE needs more blacks. Did that come off racist? No. The problem is that, like I've said, Vince relies on the racial stereotypes. So if it's Triple H... You know, Triple H does things a little differently and he's more, he's he's younger, you know, he's younger, so he views things differently. You know, Biggie Langston isn't coming out with a, uh, you know, with an African print daishiki 
and, and a shopping cart full of bean pies. That's not what he's doing. <clears throat> he's coming out as a strong dude that fucks people up. It works. If it's Vince, Biggie Langston would come out and his gimmick would be a cab driver. He'd come out with a yellow cab to the ring. He would wrestle in a members-only jacket with a Newsies hat and cargo pants. You know? That's what he would do. This is what Vince would do. Biggie Langston would be a cab driver. And he'd come out in a yellow cab like Del Rio came out in his expensive cars. Biggie would come out in a cab. And that'd be it. And his, his finisher would be called like the Lost Fair or some shit. But you, but you know what it is? The Rock, it's funny because everybody's like, oh, the first person that they cite Strider is The Rock. Oh, well, The Rock is African-American. Yeah, well, The Rock is not, The Rock is the right kind of black. And, that, and people don't understand that. L- let me explain something to you. The Rock, The Rock is considered, he's like this bottle of water. This bottle of water, you pour Kool-Aid into it, you can make it red, you can make it green, you can make it purple. That's The Rock. The Rock is light enough that he could pass for one thing, but black enough that he can pass for something else. See, if The Rock if The Rock looked like Kimbo Slice, The Rock would not The Rock wouldn't be where he is. He's not. Sorry. Exactly. The Rock is Obama black. Thank you. That's exactly it. The Rock is Obama black. That's exactly it. You know, Ahmed Johnson. Great example. Ahmed Johnson's story is so crazy. But again, you're the you're not you're not the black that you want on television. You are, you know. <laughs> Jay says, "Who wants to look like Kimbo Slice?" No, but I'm just saying. I used it as a as a con- as a, an example of color. That was it. I only use Kimbo Slice as an example of color. But again, that's what I'm saying. Strider, Strider, that's a that's a great definition. Strider says the rock skin is culturally camouflage. That's exactly it. He is he is not black black, but he's not brown brown. He's just there. You just look at him and you look at him and you're like, yo, what is he? You know? What the hell is he? And that's what happens. Like, think about it. All the Samoan dudes, they're all not super black. Why do you think they try to they, they're promoting like the Roman Reigns? Like Roman Reigns looks like the guy you see on the cover of a cheesy soap opera novel. You know? You look at it and you see you see you see Roman Reigns got the long hair and it, and shit you he's like a guy that should be on a cover of like some cheesy novel you find in in the bin at the library. Like that's what they want to push, you know, because that's what works. They'll put it put it to, like this. You'll see Roman Reigns get a, a faster push than an R Truth. 90 seconds. That's the English lady. For those of you listening to the live feed, the Block Talk Radio feed will go off at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can continue listening live on our Mixler feed, mixler.com forward slash my take radio, M I X L R.com forward slash my take radio. You can also listen to the feed on the GFQ network, gfqlive.tv. And of course, archived versions of the show will be available on iTunes, Stitcher, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, etc., etc. You guys know the deal. Uh, For those of you that are continuing to listen to the live show, you can continue listening 
on our Mixler feed or on gfqlive.tv or, of course, on mtrlive.com. Anyway, as I was saying, you look at at these guys and it's, you know, culturally camouflaged. So that's what's happening. Anyway, poor Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards. We'll see if they get a contract. Otherwise, blame Triple H. Easy as that. So an interesting bit of uh, financial information came out from a report I saw on the Wrestling Observer. According to the report they put out, they said that WWE is now worth $1.2 billion and that the company's stock has doubled. Ten seconds. Thank you, British lady. Ten seconds. That the company's stock has doubled since 2013. According to what they're saying, pretty much every member of the McMahon family is very close to billionaire status. Of course, part of this can be attributed to not only the debut of the WWE Network, but the upcoming TV rights negotiations, which, check this out, very interesting. WWE stands to make a great deal of money if once they re-sign their network agreements in 2014. Obviously, Monday Night Raw will stay on USA, but there's talk that Spike TV would be getting SmackDown for their lead-in for Bellator, which is interesting because what is going to happen to TNA? Now, obviously, they're saying that TNA is still going to keep impact because they're not going to be competing for time slots on the same night as WWE, but WWE will probably not want to do it because they would not want to be on the same channel as TNA. So very interesting that Spike TV would want to do that. Now, check this out. If WWE does make the jump to Spike and becomes the lead-in for Bellator, I'm sorry, but Impact is fucked at that point. That's the thing. Everybody's saying that there wouldn't be a need for Impact, which has been a good ratings draw, but it, it's it's crazy that it, it, if it went that that route, Impact would probably be getting the fucking boot. And they'd have to find a new network because think about it from a money standpoint, you make more money advertising wise with WWE than with TNA. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks. But if they negotiate these new deals, the McMahons all stand to become billionaires. So it's, it's going to be a wild couple of weeks. And once it pans out, who knows? I think if SmackDown went to spike, it would be good but I'd like to see SmackDown on Wednesdays. I think that would be a better day. Friday's just too much of a death knell. As much as they want to put Bellator on Fridays, that's a failure in itself. But what can you do? I mean, they sure, on Wednesday nights, they'd compete against the Ultimate Fighter. But um, it's not a big deal. I think competing against the Ultimate Fighter, if you're SmackDown, you'd be able to do fairly well. Just saying. So the last bit of wrestling news to wrap it up this week is uh, something very interesting. Uh, WWE has their developmental talents doing classes and seminars uh, similar to what the NFL and the NBA does so that they have skills post-wrestling. In other words, they want to have the talents not only learn to market themselves, but also learn how to manage finances. They're going to start doing college tuition reimbursement programs, media training, and language courses. So... It's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. Now, one of the things that I've always said about professional sports, especially the NBA primarily and the NFL, 
is that when you get signed to a, to the NFL or the NBA, the rookies take a class. And that class shows them how to interact with the press, how to handle social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In the case of the UFC, they also do that. They do a, a camp and the fighters come in. They get to, um, you know, they get to work with different people, learning how to manage social media, et cetera. And I think one of the biggest things that has happened with professional wrestling is that a lot of people that leave the business end up broke or they end up having to do uh, smaller shows to be able to generate an income because it's all they know. So I think that WWE doing this for their talent would be, uh, uh, it, it's a tremendous idea. And I think it's great because like I said, it's a, you want these new performers after their careers are over to be able to have regular jobs and have regular skills. And I think that coming in and, and teaching them about how to manage social media, how to manage their money, how to file their taxes, um, learning different languages, which is always good. I think the WWE doing this now is, is essential for their talent because you're getting a lot of younger superstars. You know, I think Paige Paige hasn't been brought up because she was under 21 when she signed. She's a great wrestler, but she was under 21 and they don't want to bring up anybody that's under 21 to be on the road for 300 days a year. So doing things like this, it allows these performers to just be better, to be beyond the the norm. And I, I'm really glad to see that they're doing it. Hopefully it, it pans out and their superstars you know, the new superstars can have careers to fall back on if it doesn't work out for them. So we'll see what happens. As for the TV deals, like I was saying, I'll have more news for that in the coming weeks and we'll see what happens with Spike TV. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. Let's get into some gaming news, which isn't much, so it's probably going to be a shorter segment, but let's get right to it. So Amazon released their 2014 hol- uh, holiday shopping report and no shock, but Call of Duty Ghost, GTA 5, and Just Dance were at the top of the sales list. Amazon labeled the games as the best-selling games for the full holiday season. Pretty much um, Call of Duty on the 360 and GTA 5 on the 360 held two out of the top three spots. Just Dance 2014 was the Nintendo Wii version which was the one that sold the most. According to a report they put out, they said new consoles sold incredibly well and uh, pretty much at the peak of sales for each console, customers bought more than 1,000 units per minute. Definitely very interesting statistics and I wanted to talk a little bit about the holidays because, of course, the big drought for the holidays means that all of us can look ahead to the new quarter and expect new titles. Now, of course, Nintendo had a very strong showing right before the holiday break of all their great games. And the thing is that there's a lot of eggs in a basket with Nintendo because there's the expectation that these new games are going to get the Wii U a a, a shot in the arm. But here's what's going to help the Wii U. Number one, obviously, the games are going to be a huge factor. Number two, I think that a $50 price drop or uh, would be would be key for the Wii U because it would really appeal to people. The sweet spot that uh, that I've always felt 
is the best selling point for consoles is when they reach $250. When consoles reach $250 and under, you see a lot more movement and a lot more, uh, you see people buying one or two consoles to put in different rooms. I mean, the PlayStation 3 and 4, 4 obviously not so much, but 3, with the recent price drops, I know people that have picked them up and they use them as their Blu-ray players and they pick up the occasional game and it works for them. It's it's one of those things where you got to ask yourself, especially with the new systems, what is going to make me want to pick up merchandise for this system? Like right now, like I said, the Xbox One is everywhere. If I were to buy an Xbox One now, I'd probably pick up Dead Rising 3, maybe. And I'd pick up, I'd probably rent Rise. I wouldn't buy Rise, but I would rent it just to check it out. And uh, that's pretty much it. Like, that's the big issue. Now, PlayStation 4 is in the same boat. As 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 much as people don't want to admit it, you know, what are you going to pick up? Assassin's Creed, maybe. NBA Live, Madden, eh. You know, you'd pick up Knack or some of the other games. Now, in Nintendo's case, you drop the systems down to 50, you know, to 250, maybe two, you know, or 200, and then you get a brand new market. Because not only that, you'll have the people that want to pick it up and play Mario and Mario Kart and Smash Brothers, you know, all the good stuff that people like. So I'm very curious to see what happens. A lot of people are saying that Nintendo is contemplating a price drop, but what I'm curious to see is that now that the holidays are over and the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One have the brand new quarter in front of them, what they're going to put out to get people to buy it. Because like I said, I could have bought a place, um, an Xbox One today on Newegg, but I thought about it. I'm like, what games am I going to play? And that's the whole reasoning why I said I'm going to use uh, the logic of, uh, you know, upgrading my home theater first and then picking up the consoles later because it'll give the it'll give time for more games to come out. And that's what I want. I don't want I want to pick up a console and at least be able to pick up at minimum two games that I can play for the foreseeable future. Obviously, if I plow through the games quickly that's a different story, but I'd like at least two or three games that I can pick up. I mean, if I picked up Xbox one, I'd play killer instinct. That's a no brainer. I'd rent rise and, um, that's it. I have assassin's creed on the 360 now, so I wouldn't do it, <clears throat> but exactly. There's, there's good games coming out, you know, destiny, the division watchdogs, <clears throat> solid titles overall. I think, it's it, this first quarter is going to be very indicative, not only of where these new consoles are going to go, but where Nintendo is going to go as well. I also wanted to take the opportunity to discuss, um, and this is something that I've noticed, especially now Xbox live gold and PSN have been giving out a lot of great free games lately. I think, um, PSN is going to be giving out the DMC devil may cry game next and a couple of other titles. And I'm curious, now that the holidays are behind you, are any of you guys going to, you know, make the jump to PlayStation Plus? Or are you guys going to re-up on Xbox Live with the new systems? Like, You know, what the strategies are you going to use? Because me personally, I really was not feeling PSN initially. But now that they're giving out so many great free titles, it's, it's really a solid investment. Um... I actually got the $50, you know, one year membership and I've downloaded pretty much every game that's come out. Cause it's been really good. 
you know, it's one of those things. Strider saying that he's waiting for the next Steam sale. See, if I were a PC gamer, I'd be down with that because I've seen, I've seen the Steam sales and the and the deals that they do, and those are fucking insane. Games for fifty cents, games for a dollar. I, you know, dudes, dudes save up their whole paycheck and they're broke in five minutes. But again, that's I'm not a PC gamer, but it's pretty cool that you get to enjoy that. For me, I think I probably am not gonna look at new consoles till at minimum March or April. That way it'll give me a cushion and enough time. Plus, you know, like anything else, got to get rid of the old home theater, buy the new home theater, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll take it from there. I mean, one of my, one of my coworkers, my coworker, George, he, um, he sold his PlayStation three and all his games because he told me, he's like, Rich, I only play Madden, NBA 2K and FIFA. So for him, for him, it was like, oh, I'll sell the PS3 and those three games and just pick up the, the PS4, which he did do. And he ended up picking up, you know, Madden, NBA 2K, FIFA, and I believe he picked up Call of Duty Ghosts. And that's what I'm saying. Like, for people that don't have that many games and don't care about backwards compatibility, you know, they're making the jump. For me, you know, the, partly because it's it's my job, you know, with the site and the show, it's a, it's a little different. So... Again, if you're on the fence about consoles, give yourselves to at least the second quarter of this year. See what comes out. That way you don't buy, you know, a $400 paperweight. So that's just my own, my advice to you guys. Other than that, gaming was actually a little bit quiet this week, but um, there's some great stuff coming up within the next couple of days. CES is this coming weekend, and um, there's probably going to be a ton of gaming shit on the CES side, so we will be uh, sharing that stuff when we get the news as it develops. Anyway, let's get into this week's entertainment news and take it home, shall we? So, of course, the big news story before we wrapped up for the year was the casting of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman in Superman versus Batman. And, of course, everybody's talking about her physique and this and that. And she actually did an interview, which was translated by BatmanNews.com. And when asked about her physique, she said, I represent Wonder the Wonder Woman of the New World. Breasts, anyone can buy breasts for 9,000 shekels and everything is fine. She said, by the way, Wonder Woman is Amazonian and historically accurate Amazonian women actually had only one breast. So if I really, if I'd go by the book, it'd be problematic. She also said, I've been doing physical preparations, including Kung Fu, kickboxing, uh, kickboxing, swords, jujitsu, uh, Brazilian jujitsu, and a thousand and one other things. I will gain body mass. Let me explain something to you. This lady, she was in the military. She um, she knows about getting combat ready. She's probably going to put on some meat. You know, she's going to put on some meat. She's going to gain a little weight. She will be fine. As for as for her having small boobs or not having small boobs, the power of the wonder bra, guys, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it is. A good bra, plenty of padding. Wonder Woman done. Now, the thing with, with, with this whole Wonder Woman casting isn't so much the fact that she's in the film. 
my whole thing is how are you going to be able to allocate two hours of film to pretty much the holy trinity of the DC universe? I, I, I'm a little concerned because you got to take into account you have Batman who if Affleck does a good job with Batman, you're going to need to give Batman ample screen time. Not only that, but Henry Cavill is getting comfortable portraying Superman. So you want to keep him on screen. The only thing is, and this was something that I've said before, Henry Cavill is coming along as an actor, definitely a solid actor. But the thing is, when you put him alongside an actor like like a Ben Affleck, you know, Oscar winning guy, it's going to be interesting to see the dialogue because it's going to be, you know, it's it's competitive. It's competitive in the sense that you want to make sure that the dialogue is good. The conversations are natural, but you also have a guy who's who's been acting substantially longer and that's going to be very telling. So I'm not so I'm not so much worried about Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman, but just dedicating ample screen time to flesh out all three characters. Now, Strider saying that, you know, Gina Carano or Demi Moore would have been my pick. Um, Gina Carano would have worked as Wonder Woman, but the problem is her acting is shit, dude. If you watch Haywire, the fights in Haywire alone were the only good part of that movie. That was it. And yeah, Henry Cavill did The Count of Monte Cristo, Val, one of my favorite movies. Super, That movie's like three and a half hours long. It feels like it goes on forever. But he was very good in that. The problem is, though, that in Henry Cavill's case, you got to take into consideration, it's like anything else. It's like uh, LeBron James and Spud Webb. Both are basketball players, but one is on a different level than the other. And that's where Ben Affleck and and Henry Cavill fall into that same category because you have a guy, Ben Affleck is a guy that, yeah, you know, he did Gigli and Reindeer Games and he's got shitty movies. But this is a guy that did Argo, The Town. He's, you know, he's got a lot of great credits under his belt. Now, regardless of, of his acting chops, the guy's just been in the game longer so when you do when you put guys like that alongside each other, you'll see where one outshines the other. That's all I'm saying. It's it's one of those things where you look at, you know, you look at the at these actors and you see that they don't look it like put it like this, like when Idris Elba's on screen with Chris Hemsworth, you know, you have a guy that's more established alongside another guy. The dialogue just feels more impactful. And then there's a rumor going around that Denzel Washington was going to be Lex Luthor, and then that rumor was changed to Denzel Washington is going to be Jon Stewart, which is a separate story all its own. I don't, you know, I don't understand how you're going to try and cram all these characters in there. I will say this, though. If you wanted to go with an African-American Lex Luthor, Denzel Washington or Idris Elba would be the two guys I'd choose. The problem is in Idris Elba's choice... In, in in Idris Elba's case, he's already cast as Heimdall, and you know Marvel's not going to give him up, right? You know to DC willingly. In Denzel's case, Denzel would make an awesome Lex Luthor just from a presence standpoint. But again, if you look at 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 Denzel doing, imagine Denzel having dialogue with Henry Cavill. He he would obliterate him. From an acting standpoint, because you just can tell, you know, the, like two, it's like 
you know, your arms got to be long enough to box with God. And that's what it is. It's like, it's like trying to be, it's like me trying to do a scene with Anthony Hopkins or with James Earl Jones or, or with any of those legendary actors. It's very, very, it's very, very different. That's all I'm saying. And in the Affleck case, you have this guy who's a solid actor and he's going to be alongside a guy who's just kind of coming into his own as a leading man. I don't know. It's like same thing with Denzel Washington. If Denzel Washington is Lex Luthor and Superman comes in, and he's like, you know, Lex, I'm going to take you down. And Denzel Washington just leans back in a chair and hits you the same way he hits you in training day. Forget it. It's going to be ridiculous from an acting standpoint. And again, there's no necessity for you to cram John Stewart, the flash Martian man. Why are you going to do that? Val says that Superman and Batman is a fraud and that it's really just going to be Justice League. You never know. But the problem is that in doing Justice League, you're jumping way too far ahead and you're not letting Superman establish himself. You know, everybody pretty much enjoyed the Man of Steel in one way or another. I mean, I liked it. I felt it was good. I thought Michael, you know, Michael Shannon's, uh, um, you know, his, his, his General Zod was on point. I, I just feel that it's it's one of those things where it's going to be too much too soon and people are just going to be overwhelmed by what's going on screen. That's all I'm saying. In some reboot news, it looks like we're going to get a found footage version of the Amityville Horror. Um, it looks like Amityville Horror, the lost tapes, will be hitting theaters January 2nd, 2015. Of course, this is going to... Uh, follow the events of the original book and movie, and it's going to follow a um, a group of journalists that are checking out the house, and of course, bad things happen, etc., etc. You know the deal. I think in the Amityville Horror, the, the franchise has been on the back burner for a little bit, so, you know, the lost tape genre may bring it back, and considering how cheap these movies are to make, who knows? I mean, I saw Sinister uh, New Year on New Year's Eve, and I was pleasantly surprised by how solid that movie was. So, who knows? We'll see what happens. But the Amityville Horror, The Lost Tapes, excuse me, hits theaters January 2nd, 2015. The Hobbit was not only number one at the box office, but it also ran roughshod into the record books by topping $500 million worldwide. Uh, right now, of course, it's partly attributed to the international gross which was $343 million, including strong showings in the UK and Australia. Not only that, but you also add in the $160 million that it's made, $504 million total. Of course, that puts it in the number one category for the three-day box office numbers, uh, followed by Frozen in the number two slot, Anchorman in number three, American Hustle in number four, Wolf of Wall Street was five, Saving Mr. Banks was six, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty was 7, Hunger Games was 8, 47 Ronin was 9, and Tyler Perry's Medea Christmas was number 10. There you have it. Speaking of record books, uh, la- the last show of 2013, we were talking about Thor going into the record books, joining the other Avengers movies in the uh, $500 million mark. Well... It actually is a lot higher. Thor The Dark World now surpasses Iron Man 2 
which had earned $623 million with a grand total of $629 million. This now makes Thor the third highest grossing Avengers related film to date. Number one, obviously the Avengers 1.5 billion Iron Man three was 1.2 billion and Thor: the dark world thus far is at $629 million. Uh, after that in number four was Iron Man two Iron Man one was in the $585 million bracket the original Thor was 449 million. Captain America's 370 million. The Incredible Hulk was 263, and Ang Lee's Hulk was 245 million dollars. As of right now, all of the Avengers movies have generated Marvel 5.8 billion dollars in the global box office. So, huge, huge, huge numbers. Also joining the $500 million mark was Disney's Frozen, which broke the box office totals over the weekend. This is now the studio's 53rd animated offering, making it the fourth film of 2013 to cross the $500 million margin. That joins Monsters University, Iron Man 3, and of course, Thor The Dark World. One thing to take into consideration is that the film has not yet opened in China, Brazil, Argentina, Korea, or Japan. So take that for what it's worth. Last bit of news to wrap things up. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the passing of uh, James Avery. Of course, a lot of people know James Avery as Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but he also voiced Shredder in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Uh, He passed away at the age of 65 due to complications from open heart surgery. Um, of course, our condolences go out to Mr. Avery's family. And um, here's the thing. A lot of people were on Facebook talking about the passing of Uncle Phil. And the thing, a lot of people are like, you know, you don't even know the guy's name. You call him Uncle Phil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, yep, he was also the voice of War Machine. Thank you, Strider. Here, here's the thing. When celebrities die... It's always, it's, it's easy to associate them with their most iconic roles. Obviously in Paul Walker's case, you're not going to think of Paul Walker in eight below or Paul Walker in running scared. You're going to think of Paul Walker in fast and furious. Simple as that. You know, you're, you're going to think of James Avery as uncle Phil. It's very easy to talk about his work as shredder on the original Ninja Turtles or, you know, James Rhodes and James Rhodes in the Iron Man cartoon. But the fact is that it's easier to connect with with a role that people know. And Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, if you're an 80s baby or even a 90s baby, you all we all grew up watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And, you know, there was always lessons to be learned, blah, blah, blah. But the interesting thing is that when I read about his passing, uh, Jada Pinkett said something about it. Tatiana Ali said something about it. Um, Carlton, you know, Alfonso Ribeiro said something about it. But I haven't. They, the news was quick to say that they hadn't heard anything from Will Smith. Now I don't know if it was because he's going to put out a, a, a correct statement or whatever. But it's just that James Avery, nice guy, you know, for all intents and purposes. But why are you using the guy's death to vilify? or to cast any sort of a negative light 
on one of his co-stars. That's the only thing I kind of wanted to throw out there. I felt that, you know, he passed away. He was he was a good actor. You know, I enjoyed his work. And to use his death as kind of like this negative, uh, you know, this negative connotation was was kind of fucked up. You know, I really didn't didn't I didn't appreciate that, especially because as 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 close as that cast was, I'm sure everybody's going to mourn his passing differently. But, um, you know, I saw that on the news and I liked, you know, the news was like, yeah, you know, I really felt that, you know, we know Will Smith hasn't released a statement yet. And it's like, yo. Who knows? I mean, Jada Pinkett Smith acknowledged the passing. I'm sure Will Smith will, will acknowledge it, but it's just crazy. You know? And Miss makes a valid point. You know, Will Smith got a lot of flack because back in the day, Will ruled the show with an iron fist. I'm sure he did. But, you know, it's like on on one hand, you say that the guy passed away. And then on the back hand, you use this passing to to kind of just, hey, throw Will Smith under the bus. That was the kind of thing I was saying before about, you know, when I was talking about sportsmanship, it's like, listen, whatever the case is, let those guys make their peace. Is it, is my opinion of James Avery as an actor going to change because Will Smith did or did not put out a statement? No. Is my statement of Will Smith going to change because he did or, or didn't put out a statement? No. You want to know why? Because Will Smith is an entertainer. I don't live and die by what Will Smith does. So fuck him. Same thing with people that talk about like baseball players and when these guys cheat and they feel betrayed. I'm like, does Derek Jeter play your pay your rent? Does George Steinbrenner pay your mortgage? Because if he does, then great. If he doesn't, fuck him, you know, like whatever. It was it was just crazy. But um, you know, I just I really felt that you you know, and I wanted to bring that out there, not only to acknowledge James Avery's passing, but just to to share my thoughts on the media kind of spinning the guy's death into some, you know, some negative shit. Definitely, you know, this this seems to be the trend, you know. We live in an in an era where either everybody gets offended or we have expectations that really shouldn't be you know, we don't really need met. Cuz like I said, Will Smith didn't put out a statement. Fuck him. I don't care. Do I feel bad about the passing of James Avery? Yes. Did I need to know that Tatiana Ali and Alfonso Ribeiro put out statements. Sure, it's cool, you know, and it lets me know that 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 you know Carlton Banks is still alive, but and so's uh, Tatiana Ali. But who cares, you know? Why don't you ask if about the other chick, the chick that played Hillary? Why isn't she writing anything out there? Nobody said anything about that. Oh, did did what's her name put out a statement? Why? Because no one gives two shits. Nobody gives two shits about about the chick that played Hillary. They only care about Carlton, Tatiana Ali, because, you know, she was easy on the eyes, and, of course, Will Smith. Nobody cares. What about the guy that played Jeffrey? What did Jeffrey have to say? Or the chick that played Aunt Viv, you know? Come on, fucking media scumbags. Anyway, with that said, that's actually the last bit of entertainment news for this week. So uh, let's wrap things up. Anyway. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 209 for Thursday, January 2nd, 2014. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're interested in advertising with us, you can email me at advertising at mytakeradio.com or mtrhost at 
MyTakeRadio.com. If you are a social media junkie and want to keep up with all our crazy happenings, make sure to follow us on Twitter at MyTakeRadio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circle on Google+. You can also follow our boards on Pinterest. You can follow me on Instagram, MyTakeRadio underscore Rich. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's the best way to keep up with the shows on social media. Last but not least, if you want the full My Take Radio experience, make sure to pick up the official Android or iOS app. They are $1.99. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show, along with exclusive content, mobile wallpapers, and not only that, but all the exclusives you will get them before the general public. Lastly, if you want to pick up the archive shows, you can either listen to them on the site, find them on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, uh, Spreaker, and TuneIn Radio. And of course, video reruns of the show can be heard or seen on the GFQ network. Thank you guys for tuning in. On behalf of myself, Andrea, Jay, Slick, Quark, Blade, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family, thank you guys for tuning in. Welcome to a brand new year with My Take Radio, and thank you guys for supporting us and riding with us all this time. I'll catch you guys next week. I am out of here. Peace. I'm rich, Taking us out this week is Bowser is Champion. The remixer is BXM Music. The composer is, of course, Koji Kondo. And you can download that and any of the other previously used intro or outro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. G.